and all for free. Good yeah. evening, everybody, and welcome to The Obelisk. Tonight's guest, we're going to have Michael Joseph in to talk about the esoteric 9-11. Should be a good time. Hope everyone's doing well. Nish, how are you doing? I'm excellent. I was trying to type at the same time. I'm so funny. <laughs> how are you, Jer? We do have some... It's been an interesting week. You had Cryptid Con out there. Oh, yeah. That was. Uh, and I gotta say, I really, really enjoyed the live stream you had up for a second. <laughs> With no sound, but I loved it. And I like that you posted a recap. It made me feel, I don't know. I just love you guys so much. Like you were there. I know. It made you right? feel like you were there, right? Absolutely. So this week we have uh, Full Moon in Pisces. On Friday the 13th. Did you know that? Yes, I did. Okay. I know that. I know. Well, it's rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a harvest and moon. <clears throat> did you, uh, I don't think there are any, were there any major deaths to report? I don't, I didn't vlog any. T. Boone so. Pickens was about the only one. Yeah, not this week. I, except for my, my last old, older, elderly dog Pat. So that was, and he's laying in wait. He's gonna get buried tomorrow. I'm weird like that, people. I let him die naturally, and uh, I like every animal and everyone to be part of the process and stay in touch with death. And so, it's a thing. As it's long definitely as you don't a thing. Eat them. No, but by day three they do get stinky, and but psychologically, it's it's very significant we get to we get to chew on it in you know mentally the fact that they've passed over and for people like me where the animals are family they're in an animal avatar but these are these are family members to me is as significant to me as any human and so it's a process and he had a very long life I, I feel grateful to have been in the presence of death when it came on and watch him go naturally into that like almost Lamaze-like type breathing as he passed over. And I had Jerry for the first time in my life, a very strange experience. So part of the time I, I decided to go and get astral and work on the other side when he was passing. And I had, so I got out of my body and here comes the light, right? The light they always talk about that opens, except for it wasn't like you see in Hollywood where it's all floaty and I guess beautiful. It was more pixelated. And also besides being pixel, it was above, and it looked kind of like abstract painting as a painting was happening. So real interesting strokes of light, but it was growing. And I became fascinated by it. And as as it was growing, I'm 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 like having these thoughts, Jerry, out of body, watching this light, having this internal thought of, oh no, don't go towards the light. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like all that kind of other programming we've had. And uh, anyway, suffice to say, I, I got out of of that experience and went and physically went through his his transition with him, and it was very 
So So you saw the dog's astral body leave the corpse? I did not see that, no. But when I went to sleep and get OBE before he passed to try and help help him transition on that side, uh, and I was extremely tired because it was way in the night and he'd been death rattling and having a process. Uh, I decided to take a little shut eye and hope was hoping I'd get out of body. And I did right away, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, which is interesting because it's never like on and off for me like that, but I did right away. And there was Matilda and Henry and, you know, the other two elders passed. Cool. I wish I could go out of my body. Well, I, you know, this, I learned many things from that experience that when I'm and telling myself so bad, I want to get out of the body. I want to get out of the body. It seems to something gets in the way this experience. I went with a mission and a hope that I would. And I did, I, I jumped right out. I was exhausted, but it was definitely full on OBE. And he was not leaving. Like he was in this perpetual state of what appeared to me astrally or whatever with with my lucid eyes in a liminal state to be struggling with a sleep paralysis experience. Like I could see, he didn't want to come up out of his body. He didn't want, it was jerky. And so, uh, and then I became mesmerized by the light. And then when I came back, I noticed he went into from death rattle to birthing like Lamaze type breathing, you know, where it was very measured and he calmed down. The whole experience was very, very beautiful. I'm always grateful to be in the presence of death and experience it. So it was a beautiful thing. And now tomorrow he will get laid to rest in the pet cemetery. Very good. Very good. I did find some information about the moon that I thought was pretty cool. That I wanted to pass on. It was from Lisa Stardust or Dark Star. I forget her name. Not not Marina. Someone else. But uh, this full moon will bring deceptions to light and make us question our belief system. Uh, Elusive Neptune will be a key player, igniting fears and phobias within. It's a little rough, yes, but it's not all bad. The flip side is that we can inspire ourselves to heal and transform through this cosmic energy. If we are open to growth, you know who I'm. Uh, that's good, and uh, wh- I'm going to push this. I'm really into the way Dan over at Cosmic Keys podcast mm-hmm. is synthesizing astrological information right now, and his breakdowns are just so good for people of all levels. That uh, yeah, I'm pushing. I'm p- trying to promote. They're they're great. And, but seriously, as someone who loves astrology, he does a great job. And so it might be good to look at his, or, you know, I just want to send people to at least look at his breakdown of the moon as well, because it's, it's interesting. There's a lot going on with this full moon. Drop me a link and I'll put it into the description. Michael, do you have any insight into the moon? Any information astrologically? Um. I wouldn't say so. I think more my angle is I'm really just more focused on natal charts and, you know, dealing with those and personal relationships and you know, the, the psyche aspects of it. I actually really don't follow things um, consistently other than when I do particular 
examinations of things like we'll be talking about 911. So <laughs> All right. uh, it's just it's just not uh, really as much my thing. I do check things here and there or like something's going on. I'll be like, okay, where's everything at today? And to me, it's sort of like uh, I'm more of a, a retroactive observer, I guess. That's cool. I just wanted to involve you in the conversation. <laughs> so we've got a couple of news stories here to read out. I thought that were interesting. Uh, and these I pulled off of singular14.com, which is a really good, cool website. Um, a new poll conducted by Gallup in June, but released last week, shows that more Americans believe the government is hiding its knowledge of UFOs than believe that UFOs are of extraterrestrial origin. And according to 68% of the Americans polled, believe that the U.S. government knows more about UFOs than they're telling us. This opinion was similar among all main demographic groups, including by age, education, and party identification. So I thought that was pretty cool. No? Yes, maybe? All right. There was another Mothman uh, sighting in Maryland by a mother and son who was 15. What's the juice on the Mothman? So the... They'd gone to the Walmart on Friday night because they're night owls, and they always do the late night, oh, let's run here, let's run there. This mom and her 15-year-old son. Uh, it was probably between midnight and 1 a.m. They were on Dagsboro Road, and it cuts from town to the country, basically. They live in Parsonsburg, and the Walmart is in Salisbury. Uh, she was driving with her son on the passenger seat. It was only going about 30 miles an hour. As she rounded one of the road's many curves, Bobby said she saw something only 20 feet or so ahead of the road. It was crouched and it had a couple, and I had a couple thoughts, she said. The first one was, it's going to hit my car. And the second thought was, what the hell kind of bird is that out there at one o'clock in the morning? Then when I got closer, I saw that it didn't look like a bird. Its skin was smooth and my brain wasn't registering it at all. By the time I was on it, it had started to stand up and was probably six feet tall at least. Uh, her mind reeled at the seemingly impossible situation unfolding before her. So it was big, you know, she said. I was sure it was going to hit the front of my car or something. So I slowed down a little more and kept going. And as I got closer to it, it started to move. And I guess I was just staring at it. And it seemed to be crouched down like a buzzard or something. When it raised up, I didn't see anything on the road. I didn't see anything that it was crouched eating like a buzzard would. It lifted up, and honestly, to this day, cannot even tell you what I saw until I reached, until it reached the tip of my windshield. I was still thinking, this thing is going to hit my car. Then, as it went up and fully stretched its body out, I could see that it was a very gray and very smooth in appearance, like it would be smooth if I touched it. It was bald, it was bald-headed, and she saw feet, human feet, gray human feet. Oh. I wonder, so of course we know with the mythos around Mothman that it precedes some event. So I wonder, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, if anything shows up. And these people apparently had not heard of Mothman before they encountered what they thought was Mothman. And they Googled it when they got home and they're like, oh my God, that's what we saw. Oh, I that's even gives more of a, you know, a little bit of a chill factor to it. Yes. And the other story that I have is uh, New Hampshire man blames Bigfoot for recent break-ins. 
New Hampshire man Caleb White wrote to the Conway Daily Sun in a letter published August 19th to posit that a recent string of break-ins being blamed on bearers in the region is actually the work of Sasquatch. Uh, New, New Hampshire's had at least 15 reported Bigfoot sightings dating back from uh, to the mid-70s, according to the, the BFRO, although none of them came from Carroll County, in which both Conway and Jackson are located. Conflicts between humans and bears are on the rise in Carroll County, with reported bears breaking into cars and even one incident of a bear entering a person's home. That bear was euthanized as a result of the break-in. But the uh, New Hampshire Fish and Game Officers have no way to deal with Bigfoot. Wait, what's going on? I don't know. What, do we have someone else in, in here, Jerry? What was yeah, that? We had a visitor. Was it Mothman? No, it was a Mothman. Oh my God. Or was it Bigfoot? I, I don't know. No, this I, is I, a closed show. <laughs> I know. They're talking about me. You might as well come in. What's going on in? This is what I was talking about. We do news of the weird. We introduce our guests right. and then we have people. All right. Now you got your, your, you had a story you want to talk about? Well, just today we had some more cattle mutilations out here in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon. I think it was maybe 28. You've got the link. But in traditional, in traditional style, they were missing their, there's no blood, missing their tongues, udders, and genitals. So this is. When you think about the connection between that and that in specific to Mothman, let alone maybe this Bigfoot thing, it's creating an interesting narrative of the last, you know, this last little small chunk of time because we're doing this stuff from month to month. And I I just wonder what is this upramping of cryptid weirdness with the why that's going on are we creating it what's going on with it uh i don't know but on that note and linda moulton has got to get paid you know it, right well <laughs> but on that note i figure we should now just introduce and bring in our fabulous guest that has once been an oxmente guest Yes, in fact, that's where I got his biography from. So, Michael is a researcher of the occult symbolism and ritualistic elements in our world. Last two years ago, sorry, he created an epic video series called Occult Science. That was three years ago, wasn't it? Three years ago. I can't even keep track. <laughs> it's called Occult Science, the Hidden Deity of the Cosmos. In over 30 chapters, totaling 91 videos, he methodically tears apart and reconstructs an enormous library of occult data into easily digestible segments. It's really an excellent series. Since then, he, since the release of Occult Science, he started a new podcast, which is on hiatus or temp or what? It will be coming back soon. All right, it's on hiatus called Proud to be Profane. Really interesting people on that show too. And the latest, the latest thing I have was the occult cryptocurrency, but you had done the, uh, the Catholicism thing after that, right? Yeah, that's kind of like, the other side of occult science <laughs> so it's it's just as long a little bit different format but it gets into uh the well occult science is about 
the hidden occultism and everything around us. And then occult Catholicism is about the hidden aspects of Catholicism that are kept hidden from us for a different reason. So they're both hidden. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Reason. Well, that's a cult. Um, Nish, it's working fine as far as I know. All right. Are you there? Are you there, Nish? Yeah, sorry, oh. sorry. I went to look at our chat situation and you're buffering like you did when you were at the cryptid con. Well, that's not me. Okay. So as long as people out there hear us. Yep. If your page is buffering, refresh your page. F5, F5, F5. And cool. if, yeah. Can we get a hello out there if you're if all good? Yep. Let us know if you can hear us okay, please. So, Michael, it's really great to have you back, especially on, of course, we were premeditated in this, on this, this show. <laughs> and, uh, and I like that, as we were talking about in the pre-show, pre that uh, you had uh, a, like almost a full circle experience in your own personal journey from almost, I think, last time when you were on Nox Mente. So that also adds to the beauty of talking about this, the spiritual side of what went on with 9-11 and how the implications and the stuff that's kind of reverberated out since then. Yeah, I think, um, well, I, from the spiritual aspect, um, coming full circle, uh, basically I've, gone back to the catholic church but i understand why i'm there this time and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's by choice you know instead of yeah yeah and um you know i'm very thankful for growing up there in ways that i didn't really quite comprehend um and that's part of growing up right you're absorbing things around you and i grew up in what i'd considered to be a very americanized version and uh quasi masonic i guess but what i mean by that is as much ado about Vatican II and how it changed the church, but also how the media has helped change the perception of it in some ways. And so for me, in my personal opinion at this point, I think it's kind of put a veil on Catholicism and its history. And no matter what you think about it, even if you think it's the most repressive thing to ever grace the earth, it still is um, the roots of all of our Western civilization and, um, you know, given us a lot of things, which I think the uh, Enlightenment sort of hijacked. And um, I think that that's really what's going on with a lot of the forces today and that are battling. And I think the 9-11 event will really, um, in a symbolic way, summarize uh, that battle. We can kind of expand upon that uh, as we go through it. So when you say battle, could you elaborate a bit on that for us? Sure. Um, well, if you go back to 2000 years ago, um, obviously uh, there was some, some stuff going on uh, in the ancient world that uh, got pretty crazy. Um, so you have sort of like the Greek, Roman, pagan empire, and uh, the Jews being intermingled with that. And then, 
you know, from the, the time of Christ and the apostles and, uh, you know, everything roughly from zero to 100 AD. Uh, there was a lot going on where certain Jews were accepting Christ and what would become the Catholic Church or the beginning of it. And then um, others were rejecting it and, you know, rejecting it for different reasons. And then also there was uh, an openness to the Greek culture with it. And that actually sort of fused things together. Whereas in the New Testament, you have certain aspects of Greek philosophy brought in as sort of like, um, call it an evangelizing tactic, but also just uh, what I understand as being like the, the way of Catholicism, where it takes things that are um, compatible with the worldview that they see are true. The worldview sees things as being objectively true or not. Uh, and that there was a lot of Greek culture that had things right. And the idea is that Christ purges the things that are false in that. And that was sort of part of why they talk about, you know, Logos, the beginning of John and the word. And, you know, again, like kind of what we tend to think about it and like that kind of Protestant mindset, which is kind of like what the American tradition based off of sort of like this Puritan uh, Protestantism combined with like sort of this Masonic theism that's kind of trying to go back to the, the pagan Roman Republic of that time in a way. Um, it's uh, kind of a, a way of speaking to them. So the, the Logos being the word, Protestantism will kind of be like, oh, it's the, the literal words in the Bible and Sola Scriptura, everything in the world is in the Bible. And if you look anywhere else, you're a heretic or whatever, right? And so that's not the Catholics position at all. And, um, but it was a way of saying, okay, here's the, the conception of the Greeks. This is the order of the universe, right? The, the, the way everything functions in the natural order, but they're saying that, well, Christ is the logos or the incarnation of that order. So that's a way of like saying, Hey, this is all of your philosophy, but there's an aspect of it that is um, missing something. And that's kind of the point, and that's why they say there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles anymore in the Old Testament. But are there particular groups that continued on traditions thinking there was a distinction? And so this kind of gets into the new development of Judaism and how it changes uh, since then, um, especially after the destruction of the temple, which is you know, a big deal. And um, the other thing I think that's kind of important to outline is. Um, Basically, the, the creation of the church comes out of the ashes of all of the persecution from, you know, zero to 300 AD. And um, the, the other thing is revelation in Catholicism. It's not about like, you know, the, the typical end times fear porn we all hear where it's just like, Jesus is coming back soon, going to have a millennial kingdom and all this stuff, right? Like the, typical, <laughs> the Hollywood stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the evangelical stuff. And one thing I think is really telling that a lot of it is about predicting what's going to happen during that time to the, the ones who are, you know, the, the early church is uh, the beast, right? Everyone talks about 666 and everyone's like, what is it? Is it a barcode? Is it this or that? Is it Obama? Is it Trump? You know, is it every president? Is it, you know, what, you know, it's always this ongoing thing. And, um, you know, if you add up the gematria of Caesar and Nero, uh, I believe it's in the, the Hebrew 
uh, anyway, it adds up, adds up to 666, but there's some manuscripts that say it's 616. And if you add up the gematria in Latin, it's 616. So the, the Catholic viewpoint is the only one that explains that anomaly. Um, and so to me, that just makes a lot more sense. The but question that's is only oh, in sorry, the book ahead. Revelations, right? Uh, yes. So, and that's not technically even part of the Bible, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, it is? I thought yeah. that well, Yeah, that's a classic part of the canon. I thought it wasn't added till later. Well, the way it all developed is that the, the Catholic Church put the Bible together. And so the, the four Gospels are like, those were all like, um, basically, they were unanimous that that was the foundation of the teaching by, I think, 150 AD. And then from them, that's the foundation of which they determined if other books are in harmony with that. That was a Council of Nicaea. Right, and it's just, it's, it's a development over time, and then mm. what happens, people like Luther were suspicious of Revelation. Right. Um, and so that's probably where, what you're thinking of, and um, what's interesting is that in the Catholic Bible, there's 73 books, which is not really a Kabbalistic number. I can't mm -hmm. think of much significance to go with 73 books, but... 37 reversed. Yeah, and so, you know, not not super uh, Kabbalistic, but when you uh, have the Protestant Reformation, there's a lot of debate, but eventually that snowballs into 66 books total, mm -hmm. and that's a very Kabbalistic number, and there's some interesting intermingling of uh, Judaism at that time, and there's a battle between Catholics and Jews throughout all of European history, and that's kind of a little bit of what's hidden, I think. And um, it's interesting that the Protestants look to the uh, basically the Jewish canon, which was formulated after the destruction of the temple. And so they're appealing to the Pharisees, basically, to get their Old Testament. So that's 39, 39 books. And what's also interesting is if you reverse that, you get 93, which is an important early number and one of those flight oh, yeah. numbers that we will probably discuss. Right, and a flight number from 9-11, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so for me, in my opinion, the, the 66 books there has this Kabbalistic um, aspect to it and then snowball that down the line and now probably the most protestant uh, popular protestantism is christian zionism which has no basis in catholicism because the idea is that the catholic church is the new israel so if you have a false israel in the middle east that's just a, you know an imitation that would be kind of the viewpoint and the catholic church rejected the zionist state and proposals for it, Pope Pius X, one of them, Schofield and some of these Protestants um, basically transmuted some stuff, and that's where a lot of that came from. And like I said, there's a lot of things that have happened to the church since the mid-1950s that have changed the character a lot, and a lot, probably a lot of things people complain about today, which I would completely sympathize with, um, but there's a lot more to it. And what about the other 1,900 years You know, that people tend to forget? What about the idea that the procession of the equinoxes, right? So we we saw the the birth of it really two thousand. It's debatable what it's like two thousand two two hundred years or something. And so here we are on the precipice of the Aquarian Aeon, and uh, and we know that the Piscean Aeon is really where we started to see the whole Christianity movement come forward so i'm wondering for you looking at all this stuff how does that tie in and tying that into the 9-11 stuff 
as well as the 2012 stuff because it all kind of here we are on the edge of the new aeon yeah i think that um there's certain aspects of that you know quote unquote astro theology that uh, i'm not really quite certain about but i think that there is absolutely things within the astrological system that uh harmonize with what i understand at least and, and one thing i think is interesting is um well we we can talk about i think the pluto return that's coming up soon for the united states at uh, yes. you know 1776 significant. yeah 2024 <laughs> yeah so i think that that is sort of like a marker so i guess i might take it out of the uh whole aeon procession of the equinox and stuff because i'm still not exactly sure what i think about all of that i don't really even quite understand it that well um but one thing i think is interesting is that um later on closer uh i think it's closer to the renaissance the uh the church made the gregorian calendar and uh, they said that there were some errors and they wanted to rectify them and what's interesting is if i plug my birth chart into the, the uh you know the old calendar doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever but the gregorian one everything makes sense to me so for me like that that uh that that was an improvement at least based upon my experience being an astrologer and um but the protestants resisted that mostly out of spite and they didn't adopt it for a while and a lot of other places didn't so i think that there is something to the astrology that is compatible with catholicism and most people think about christianity as like oh astrology is banned it's evil and all that kind of stuff and i think within a certain context um that tradition is saying well you can't predict the future god is in charge of that and everyone has free will so there's no faded aspects to it but there are inclinations that a chart can indicate and even thomas aquinas actually said this he said that there's no doubt that men are ruled by their passions and that the, the stars have influence on that, but that does not supersede free will of man or the intervention of God. So astrologers can make general predictions and they can happen, but as soon as things start to get specific and all these sorts of stuff, they believe that that gets an error because they can, they end up basically succumbing to this idea that, um, at least in that worldview, it's like, if everything is just laws of nature and that's what you tap into, and if you can like beat the system with your knowledge, it's sort of like this egoic uh, error that you you have so much pride in your own mind and your own intellect and your own elitism in a way that that will actually come back to destroy you because you can make the predictions and they uh, they won't be right. Or you make one, you might get it right, but the other ones are wrong. And that's kind of like the way it is. Like as soon as there's a wrong prediction, it's like, you're done. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way it looks. And then look at all like the, there's kind of like a this is what i call like a, a dialectic of protestantism and occultism which really unified in like the john d days mm -hmm. um but they kind of do similar things at least the more extreme i'm i'm, I'm generalizing here because you have to do that sometimes but kind of like the more extreme versions where there's sort of like the um protestant end times where they like do this gematria in the bible and one of them was like the harold camping guy not too long ago and I thought it was interesting that when I was living in Boston, there was a billboard that, oh, world ends tonight. Come join us for the rapture. Bible guarantees it. So it's like, and, and you know, and then, yeah, yeah. And the, the Protestant kind of truther world will kind of be like, you know, oh, the, 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 the establishment doesn't want you to know about 
the, the truth of, of uh, Christ or whatever and that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of like, I, I can understand that. But like when I see billboards about the end of the world and Jesus, like obviously they don't care about that existing. So is there something about that version of Christianity that's very useful to the establishment because it puts people in fear porn mode and it's like, you know, just kind of nutty. And, uh, but on the flip side, you kind of have that on certain, like, I don't know if I'd call it pagan or occult circles where it's like, catastrophobia 2012 that the poles are going to shift and there was a lot of like new yes. agey kind of crazy shit going on so there was an interesting dialectic where they're doing this same sort of end times apocalypse thing but they do it in in different uh different variation thing so it's kind of like i guess the way i would express it it's like the same source sound but when it goes off one wall will echo one thing, one wall will echo another thing, right? One wall might echo more high frequencies, the other one might echo low frequencies, but it's from the same source, the same sound, the same sort of fundamental need for this sort of apocalyptic fervor in this grandiose way. The Gregorians were 1582, October is when the calendar went into place. I wonder, I was sitting here thinking while you were talking about how they must have been aware of astrological stuff you know tied to the calendar the gregorians themselves so i wonder if they had put things into the calendar to thwart the veracity of astrology or to help it or or neither well during the renaissance um there's a lot of debate about the renaissance and here's another dialectic you have the a lot of more hardcore protestant types will say well that's when occultism got into the papacy and it was never the same and it's always been this pagan evil hidden from people and then the other side you have occultists saying well that's when the papacy became good and adhered to all this occultism and that's when progress started and that's actually the modern liberal worldview but they take it to the the scientific rationalism viewpoint where like oh that broke us away from the dark ages and that evolved into the enlightenment and blah 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 blah, blah. so it's interesting that all of these groups have a a, a view of that the renaissance papacy for very different reasons and so for me i think it's somewhere in the middle where yes there was a certain amount of uh kabbalah that entered that i think was uh probably not so good and you can see that uh this you know you have to get into aspects of judaism during this time where um the, the inquisition the evil inquisition everyone freaks out about um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that where uh, the only people that were killed by the Inquisition were Catholic because they had professed that. There was no pagans. There were no Jews killed. There were Jews that pretended to be Catholic, and that's where you can get into certain conspiratorial aspects or just opportunist aspects, you know, whatever it might be. There was sort of like a big problem there in Catholic Spain. The crypto-Catholics. <laughs> And um, so uh, this gets into the doctrines of the Talmud from Judaism. And there's obviously some not so nice things said about Jesus and Mary in there. If you read uh, Peter Schaefer's book, who the Jewish guy is a Jewish scholar, he basically goes through all these things about how the Talmud views Christ. He's the pagan bastard son of a whore, Mary, right? And so... What's in, this is really interesting, I think. This is what really made me start thinking about all this stuff. A lot of Protestantism, more extreme versions, think that the Catholic Church is this evil, pagan, you know, it, 
Jesus is just Osiris, a pagan deity, and then Mary's this harlot Isis, right? That's kind of like the Protestant fear porn around it. But what's interesting, that's the exact same view as the Talmud, where they view, and if you go back to the Bible, Jesus is a demon. He's casting out spirits of Beelzebub. They actually think he's mixed with the nations. The Jews think that he's a pagan magician. Um, and this is why they end up killing him eventually, because they want to curse him and you, you hang people from a tree or curse that's an old testament and so what's from the catholic viewpoint that's the irony the curse turns into freedom for all the gentiles because the the jews are supposed to keep separate from the pagans but for specific reasons but then there's this sort of elitism that appeals to pride that is built into it and so there's this aspect of judaism that just doesn't like any paganism whatsoever but then there's also this protestantism that views it the same way. And so that's the accusation of a lot of Protestantism. It's quote unquote Judaizing. And again, that's not to, that can be taken as a derogatory term, but people just say that's just what it is. So I'm just talking objectively here. And so this is what happened during that Renaissance papacy. And this is what's really interesting. Leo X, um, he starts allowing the Talmud to be printed where it was always basically not allowed to exist because of its doctrines on how they get to treat the gentiles and do some things to them and obviously uh how they viewed christ so there's just conflict there but then there's usury that's involved you know lending out money at interest and uh you know that can get that, that you look at our federal reserve system today right? exactly and so here's the other interesting thing uh in the, is, is there modern, usury in the talmud is it, is it allowed i know in the quran it's not allowed well from what i understand that it's supposed to be not allowed but here's the difference the rabbis make commentary on things so they might say oh well in this instance it's okay and so you end up becoming protestant in a way where you become your own pope and if you're your own rabbi and you can just kind of freely interpret things all of a sudden you're saying well you know you're not supposed to bear false witness as a ten commandments but in this instance when you're being persecuted by even catholics who are a, a pagan you know, worshiping a pagan demon Jesus, then that's that's justified, right? And you could probably make a. I'm not saying that all Judaism does this. I'm saying you can see that mindset could easily be there if that is how they deal with things. And I could probably relate it to modern day SJWs, where it's like, as long as they're fighting fascism, then they can do whatever they want. They can beat shit out of anybody or whatever. That's their mindset. But is that just a contradiction? And that actually makes you the oppressor. And so, what's interesting is the Dark Ages, a thousand years. Well, usury was a mortal sin. You would have no uh, fractional reserve banking as we know it today during those dark ages. So what was so dark about them, I'm wondering? And um, this is what all of our indoctrination in America, right. you grow up in the Enlightenment system, they'll always tell you that's the dark ages. You watch Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos or Carl Sagan's Cosmos, they'll give you all this propaganda about the dark ages. And if you read the books of occultism like Pike, Matt Blavatsky, Freemasonry Theosophy, mm -hmm. They agree that that's all the Dark Ages. So everybody seems to think that that's the Dark Ages, except for the Catholics. So I find that very strange, especially when you're not allowed to have usury. And then and Fomenko. What's that? And Fomenko. Fomenko didn't believe in the Dark Ages. Yeah, I think uh, I have some issues with him, but I think maybe for different reasons. Uh, but either way, the um, this is when usury starts coming into the papacy, mm -hmm. and then a lot of this mysticism starts coming in and then there's a lot of debauchery that comes in so it's pretty interesting that when this neoplatonic kabbalah and 
Talmudic doctrines come in, that's when everyone says the papacy started getting debaucherous. But then how do you explain those occult doctrines? You try to make those seem good, but that seems to be what's causing it. So there's a problem there. And then the other issue is you have a split where now the Protestants in the North are viewing some of this debauchery. And then they start saying, well, this is, you know, whatever. They get all upset about it. And then you have some strange influences there where a lot of the Sephardic Jews who fled once they were expelled from Spain, they go to like the Netherlands and the Ottoman Empire. But then the, the Netherlands becomes a printing press. And this is where they start printing Protestant Bibles with Protestant interpretation. So there's like a, a dialectic here. You have this Kabbalah coming into the papacy. And then in the Protestant nations, you have like kind of what will become Christian Zionism, even though at that time, they they wouldn't they, that would be like bad to them, but it's right. just what it naturally evolved into. So that's like a really key moment. And back to what you were saying, I know that was a tangent, but uh, it's kind of important <laughs> with uh, all the astrology stuff. Mm -hmm. If you read um, basically that time up until the Enlightenment, astrology and astronomy were spoken of together. There was a lot of debate around it, but it wasn't like. The, the aspects that started to come in were more along the lines of, uh, you know, the, the, the faded astrology or the, the, the astrology that defied free will. So this is the stuff that would be deemed heretical. And here's the issue. A lot of people during that time, um, when they start getting exposed to these things, they would naturally lend towards the stuff in it that enabled bad behavior. So right. sometimes they would just be like, all right, sorry, we're just putting a limit on this just for the good of everybody. We think that there's some things that can be okay in it, but like just to give to everybody, it's actually hurting our population. Um, so there's reasons why certain things were restricted. And um, so basically a lot of that stuff still quote unquote kosher, but the enlightenment is really what get rid of all of the astrology in science um, because of, you know, the, the scientific rationalism that stemmed out of Newton. And then the other aspect is well, sure, the Newtonian system. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. sorry go ahead. I was going to say that we, there was a split. Science sort of peeled itself away from, what, the natural sciences and became its own thing during that period, too. Because I think during the Renaissance, you had a lot of hermetics going on. There wasn't uh, so much... Catholicism, Judaism, etc. Was Hermeticism was pretty popular during that time, and that got stamped out. Yeah, they um, a lot of Neoplatonism came over from Byzantium mm -hmm. when the uh, Ottoman or the, the Muslims took over, and this is where things got interesting because the Kabbalah was, as far as I understand, really developed around like twelve hundreds, and this gets into particular groups like the the Cathars, and a lot of people will kind of defend them, but what's interesting is the Israeli historian Norman Cantor, uh, who's a huge Zionist, he says that the Cathars were basically the same spirit of the Jewish Kabbalists, and he's defending them, and so if you have a problem with Zionist Israel, you might want to rethink what's really going on there, and um, th there's a lot of things that are misconceptions. And uh, there's a really great book called The Spanish Inquisition by Chris Kamen. And it's really objective and it tells you a lot of what was going on with the Inquisition. There's a lot of things like, the amount of people killed in the Inquisition, like 
like 12 people per year for like a couple hundred years. So compare that to like a modern war, right? We're so advanced now with our modern society, but we kill only, you know, tens of millions of people in our wars. Whereas, you know, the Inquisition was killing 12 people a year. We're so much better, right? Right. And so um, there's a, a lot of misconceptions going on around that. And then, but the other thing is, the interesting part of that book is right in the beginning, he was basically under the guidance uh, of a lot of research of Ben Zion Netanyahu, who was Benjamin Netanyahu's father. And he's basically an expert on, or was, he's dead now, on the, the Jews in Spain. And so if you have a guy who's the father of the prime minister of Israel today telling you how you need to view the Spanish Inquisition, well, is that a conflict of interest? And the main thing that came and was forth is that there's zero evidence of any conspiring to infiltrate Catholicism. That's like the main thing you got to take away. And thank you, Mr. Netanyahu, for telling me that. So, you know, is there suspicious <laughs> stuff going on that they're trying to cover up there? I don't know, but that gets into the Kabbalah and then the doctrines of the Kabbalah. Basically, there's a lot of end time stuff built into them, Zohar stuff. And you can yeah. go to this universal Kabbalah site called Benai Baruch. And they're trying to make Kabbalah the universal religion in a way. And what's interesting is in their prophecies, their end times prophecies, they talk about this 66 King Messiah. So 66 Messiah, Christian Zionism, you know, you can mm -hmm. see these things all starting to add up. Mm -hmm. And then they also say that in their end times, evil Rome will be destroyed. Uh, and the world will turn against Israel, which is where it is now that, that, that they're the regime they're talking about. Uh, any of them that they, they'll do will be destroyed and Romish forces, which essentially the Catholic church will turn against them. And there's like this crazy stuff. And like, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on with like immigration flooding into Europe. A lot of people who are like yeah. rabbis saying like, this is just prophecy and this is a good thing that Europe should be destroyed by immigration. It's pretty like they're really open about these things now. Not all, I'm not saying I'm saying specific people, no, I but understand. It's, it's pretty messed up. And, uh, you know, you see it all happening. Do you know? Uh, do you know of David Charles Plate? I do not. He's a uh, synchromistic, I guess would be the best way to put it. He has, he's got a few a few places on the internet. I'll try and find one for the chats where he's detailed how the Zohar predicted nine eleven. Just to kind of tie it all back in. That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> he's for got sure. an English translation of it too that he did. I'll have to look into that. Um, but yeah, so during that time, it's a really interesting time period from like the 1500s to the 1700s. And then like we were talking about the scientific rationalism that kind of took over, that stems out of England and Freemasonry. And so Protestantism turns into Freemasonry. So 1517, Protestant Reformation marker. And then 1717, 200 years later, exactly, when Freemasonry becomes official in Britain. And this is where it gets really interesting, I think, is there's two types of masonry. And there was this sort of masonry that's tied to the old world Catholic empire, which is about building, excuse me, structures with, uh, it's more about the, uh, the practical side of things and bringing in you know, symbolism and, and, and teaching Catholicism through architecture and all the cathedral building and stuff like that. And they didn't get as much into all of this 
what would be like Albert Pike esoteric Freemasonry today, that kind of stuff. That, that was not part of it. But then eventually it sort of morphed and there was two split factions. One's called Stuart Masonry or Jacobite Masonry or Ecossais, which is French for Scottish Masonry. And then there's Whig Masonry, which is tied to um, kind of like all of that occultism and they adhere to the Noahide laws, which are tied to the Talmud. There's these two split factions Eventually, the Whig Masonry and what you would read in Freemasonic Encyclopedia, Albert Pike, that wins over. Um, and the Jacobite Masonry was uh, designed to have the, a king, uh, the, the Charleses, but then eventually it was bring back Catholic King uh, James or the Pretenders uh, after him. Um, and so basically the Glorious Revolution deposes that. And that's the bad kind of Freemasonry when it's tied to Catholicism. Whenever you read Blavatsky or ever you read Pike, they hate that masonry. And that's like the, the evil type. And so once you kind of understand like the evolution of these things um, and this transmutation of the old world Catholic empire into this new sort of Masonic cult empire, it's like a slow breakdown and like the scales of power tip. And I would say the Enlightenment is when they're about even and then starts tipping towards what I would just call kind of like the new world order. But I do think that there's certain factions sort of fighting for their new world order. Kind of like there's like a, a Jewish version, there's a wasp establishment version. Um, and, you know, probably some other ones in between that fight in between all of these little dialectics. And I think that uh, in some way, World War II was an aspect of that. As well. Yeah, I think it's very clear. And for people who don't understand what wasp means, it's white, Anglo, uh saxon protestant right is white privilege yeah <laughs> i <laughs> haven't heard that in a while michael it made me smile actually well this gets into the twin tower stuff because the rockefellers are a symbol of the wasp establishment because they came from like i think a protestant baptist i don't know like they came out of that tradition and then eventually they sort of transmuted into occultism and uh i think edith rockefeller she's the one who financed Carl Jung to get his psychology distributed throughout the world. And um, she became a Jungian psychologist. The, the, the roots of psychology are really sorted if you actually look into them. And like, Very sorted. Um, they, you know, they were, they were having sex with their patients. Um, yes, it was all, it's, it's, that is a rabbit hole to go down. And I, I, people need to go down and learn that, especially when we start talking about some of the masters in psychology. Yeah, and I cover that in my cult Catholicism series. I go through the psychology aspect and how it came into being. And um, so, anyways, the Rockefellers. The, the reason, the only reason you know who Carl Jung is, is because of the Rockefeller, basically, because he used Edith Rockefeller's money, and he also married into a rich family, and he kind of abused his wife because he would have these mistresses, and he would just kind of impose them, like, "Oh, honey, I'm with my chaos muse over here. You're my wife." mother archetype and you're just gonna have to deal with it and the kids are gonna call her aunt tony so he's basically like using her for money and bringing in like this other girl who's a patient a former patient who he's banging and he's saying that you know this is just how it is so you know is that really good behavior <laughs> and um so anyways this is all stuff i cover and go into and um but the edith is sort of gets into all of this esotericism. Um, and obviously, if you read Young, like that's built into it. And another aspect is 
Um, I did a lot of research in the JFK assassination. That's kind of like the mirror of 9-11 in terms of this tons of Kabbalah built into that. And there's a lot, if you read uh, Carl Jung's Mysterium Conjunctionis, it's 14th volume, I believe, is collective works. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you read the section on the king and queen, the alchemical transmutation, if you just like understand the basic fundamental parts of that transmutation, it's almost like it's exactly mirroring the JFK presidency and then his death and then culminating with the moon landing. If you go to the archetypal world, which is what he was all about. And another interesting thing is Carl Jung was actually an agent of the OSS under Alan Dulles. And Dulles was part of the whole JFK cover-up. So isn't that interesting? And it was also talking about how he worked with Dulles and they were close friends. And even Jung said, this is all part of his biography. This is just mainstream. Right. Um, you know, Jung says, hey, Alan Dulles, if you ever want to come hang out in Switzerland, just, just drop in. You don't even need an appointment. That's how like chummy they were. Um, and so it's pretty interesting that in this JFK assassination, you see all of this stuff tied to this alchemy of the king and queen. And that gets in what we were talking about because he was the only Catholic president in name. And that was during the 1960s where Vatican II was happening. And so right. there's this huge transmutation during that time. And I think that the death and resurrection of Osiris or Hiram Abiff, that's all built into the JFK assassination. And then that is the point of alchemy in these books where you're taking the lead, but in their mind, lead is old world Christendom, the thousand years of darkness that didn't allow usury. And you're trying to get everyone away from that. And then you're birthing it into a new consciousness. And that's the equality Christ, where Christ is just as equal as Osiris or just as equal as whatever. And that's really ultimately what the moon landing, in my opinion, was about. Because JFK was the president that said, we're going to go to the moon. Whether you believe that to be a real event or not, that yeah, was like yeah. the uh, culmination. If you look at the, the Carl Jung alchemy, the parallels are uncanny. And if you want to do that, you can go to my channel and look up the JFK series. I have it in the playlist form, and I go through all of the correlations. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the uh, Discord. Or I'll put it everywhere. And this is... This is one of the reasons why uh, I really enjoy your work as well, because you're, you tie together all this stuff. This is what we should be doing, in my opinion, is stepping back and, and tying together threads that seem not, dots that seem not connected, right? This cloth is all woven, and so it's important to step back and breathe and start looking at how this stuff intertwines and is connected. And Stop how looking these, for reptilians. And how these stories overlap, and we get the cult of personality around them. We get the cult of personality around Jung. I mean, it just is, it's a constant pushing at us where we get close in and we can't see the larger picture. So the Jungian community is completely the cult of Jungian community is not in touch with all of this other stuff that's out there in public record. And I'm con continually surprised by it, Michael. I think one of the issues too, is that there are multiple layers, overlays of what was happening at the same time. You've got, you've got the whole commie versus Nazi fight happening within the United States from the paperclip scientists fighting with the communists that are in our government already, you know. Uh, Dulles was supposedly double agent for, I don't remember if it was Mossad or KGB, but 
got that happening. You know, there's just so much was going on. It's kind of hard to look at it as one thing. And he's seen as debunking the protocols of Zion. Again, yeah. I, I still don't know what I think about that document. If you read through it, it's pretty scary how much it looks like today. But I still, I, I'm not like, oh, that's real. Like, this, it's just, it's just too weird that it does. You know, there is some truth to it, whether or not it was like a, a forged thing or propaganda piece. Right. Somebody predicted something in it. You know. Right. And just going back to your moon landing statement, I totally agree. It doesn't matter. Well, you didn't say this, but you did. It doesn't matter if it happened or not in reality because it's already seeded the consciousness that event has the idea the idea right has seeded and taken hold and regardless of what actually went down the impact of it is is here well then we move forward a little and we get to the late 60s where you know time life is is god dead and then we have rosemary's baby with this which has got a lot of the vatican stuff tied into it and uh and of course all the all the other stuff that's going on and so we have this underpinning in in the collective and in the stories spinning around the collective that have uh and of course still the uh the heavily guarded information around the sacrifices like jfk stuff and all that that springboard us forward to you know, let's springboard forward to nine eleven. Yeah, I think um, well, we were talking about the Rockefellers building it in uh, in nineteen seventy three on April fourth, I believe, was the official opening. And if we want to get into some of the astrology, uh, there's some really crazy stuff that's happening because on that day, the opening in nineteen seventy three, Saturn was in, I think it's fifteen degrees Gemini. And on the official closing, the 9-11 event, it was in 14 degrees Gemini. So it was just making a Saturn return on that day. Um, and so think about... Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, aside from the typical reaping and sowing and Saturn return stuff that kind of everybody knows about their own lives when you're 28, 30 years old, you, uh, you're going to be returning back you know, what you've been irresponsible, it might be shown in your face and actually give you restrictions, but what you've been responsible for might actually give you the fruits of the labor, right? So it's kind of like the reaping and sowing aspect of it. And it's probably going to be a mix of both for uh, most people. But anyways, in terms of America as a nation, is there a reaping and sowing aspect to that? And then also think about um, Saturn itself. If in this occult alchemy, Saturn is the lead, the old world king. And again, this is interesting because think about the, the stereotypical, you know, oh, you Christians or you Catholics worship a sky daddy and you have some bearded God up there and it's just really Saturn, right? But again, is that uh, one, a straw man for how they actually view it? And two, is that actually transmuting the church into paganism? Because that was a concept of father time in paganism. So are there particular groups that don't like the Catholic Church and think it's pagan, and they're making an effort to try to transmute it into that in the consciousness of the masses? And during that 60s time was a big push forward with that. And then bring it to this event, 9-11, where uh, if that represents the old world in occult alchemy, and the occult alchemy in your initiation into masonry or whatever these secret societies do, the whole point is that well, all the exoteric religions are a facade. 
and especially Catholicism, because Masonry straight up says it's an inversion of Catholicism. If you read Albert Pike's 30th chapter of Morals and Dogma, which is on the Templars, his version of the Templars, which are the Kabbalist Talmudic ones, that is Masonry. It's an inversion of Catholicism. And so what's interesting is during that time, are they trying to invert that? And then instead of the old world universal religion, now it's the universal religion of science. And the moon landing has proven it that, you know, all of these other things are just bullshit superstition and science is the way, but that gets into occult science. Where is it? Well, you're just really learning Kabbalah and it's just veiled from you. And so you have Saturn in the middle of the two pillars. Um, so you have the old world authority, right? The old Christendom, uh, the, the demiurge of Gnosticism, as they call it. And then you have the, uh, the physical component. And you just talked about it. You guys just mentioned it. There's the spiritual element. And then there's sort of like the physical element of these events where there's a political agenda, but there's also kind of like a spiritual agenda. And they're both connected, but some people only look at the, the political part, right? Or with a physical part. So if we take it to the physical part, well, you have the archetype of that old world embedded into the Twin Towers because they're, they're two things separate. And that's part of masonry, right? That the, the separation is for the profane. They see it as dualistic. They believe that all of these exoteric religions are just like sort of dualistic pagan manichaeanism in a way. Um, so they want to unify them. And so what better way to, to symbolize that to the world by destroying the old world symbol and uh, basically, you know, because the wasp establishment took over. And now that's kind of going away. And you think about Silverstein bought the Twin Towers just before it they went apart and got a lot of insurance money. What a coincidence. Like three weeks before. Yeah, and he's he's a big Zionist as far as I know. And then um you have uh the the, the Solomon building, building seven, mm -hmm. Solomon Brothers. You know, obviously it's an allusion to Solomon's temple, that whole thing. Oh yeah, there. yeah. That's juicy. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there's yeah, all it's, kinds it's of stuff. Not talked about a lot, though. The whole Solomon aspect to that. Mm. You have the North Tower, the South Tower, the North and South Freemasonic pillars, and JFK. You had the. I'll probably relate it to JFK a lot because they're very interconnected. The JFK mm. Dealey Plaza is shaped like the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Right. Um, it, right. it looks just like it. Um, and if you that transposes to the Masonic pillars, it's it's the representation of that. So. What you have is Main Street, where the limo comes down, that's the equilibrium pillar. That's the middle pillar. And then you have Commerce and Elm, the dark pillar. The north pillar is Elm, and it's on the north side. And then what's interesting is if you split the streets horizontally, Main Street splits north and south. So North Houston goes that way. South Houston goes that way. There you go, right there. Um, and you can see that design built in, the three pillars. Uh, into the twin towers and the hidden middle pillar in that complex is pretty interesting there was something called the, the spherical caryatid a caryatid is another name for pillar or a, a, a female pillar and so is that a, a cult a namesake illusion to a, a middle pillar and it was right in between the two towers and that was cracked during the event and they took that cracked sphere the battery park and they lit an eternal flame for it just like jfk they lit an eternal flame 
So why do they have these like huge world shattering events with all this Kabbalah in, and then they light this eternal flame, which represents like Hebrew letter Sheen, which is like a triple flamed letter. So it kind of mimics the three pillars. So there's all this crazy stuff built in there. And then think about it in terms of that astrology alignment. That's just one aspect of it. And then that Hebrew letter Sheen, the eternal flame, that's like the symbol of it. That represents Pluto in astrology, right? And so what's the major alignment on 9-11? It's the opposition of Pluto and Saturn's return in Gemini. Just a two degree difference. And that's in Sagittarius. And you think about Sagittarius as the only projectile sign. It's about expansion, right? Like the air. And um, I, I've done readings for people where like, it's a person, a lot of Sagittarius, they, they're like an airplane pilot. So it's kind of like in the skies, right? Sagittarius taken off. It's, it, it's kind of like this idea of, um, you know, expansion and flight. And it's a, a sign of long distance travel, right? So you think about airplanes and stuff like that. And then there's also a religious aspect to Sagittarius. These are kind of ninth house themes, you know, the, the house related to it. So you have yeah. traditional religion and then you have plane or just a travel, long distance travel. And then you have Muslims of a traditional religion in a plane. And then they go into the, the tower and there's a divine fire, right? That's what Pluto represents, the divine fire of Hebrew Kabbalah that somehow in its opposition destroys all of the structure of the Twin Towers. So it's, it's opposite the, the structure and form in Gemini. So if you look at the astrological archetypes, you can see how the official story, it's kind of mimicking the alignments. And obviously with astrology, yes, there are broad themes, but there is still specificity in that. And so you can see that, the, in my opinion, the official story is if it's, if it's bogus, where there are cultists that were utilizing this to try to work its magic on people. And I'd say it worked pretty well because a few days later we were at war and they told us just to go buy a bunch of stuff and that would teach them terrorists. If we just, you know, did what we do as Americans and be materialistic and buy our freedom pin. Yeah, it, it, it did work. And, and it's continued to work as a, a sigillic, almost tulpid type you know, it's taken on its own energy and it's continually that's my own word, Jerry. I like it. And <laughs> and it's but it's continually fed. And and it's fed from every angle, all these different facets. It, from the the people that there's polarity around it, of course, still. And that's significant. There are people that, that pull up to this narrative or that narrative. So there's all this tension and if you look at that in a chart too right in opposition that's creating creating it um its life to be continually uh potent so because if, if you have sides at odd it, you know opposite sides that that do not get along and they're pushing towards each other and the energy is pushing them away you're feeding it further the energy is building further and and it still continues to uh to birth out all of this crazy wild sigilic energy to this day look at um the keck stuff that happened during the election as an example of that absolutely the memetics <clears throat> yeah yeah, and so I think that 
speaking of like vigils and ritual magic, I mean, this is where a lot of the, the numbers come in, right? So you have all the flight numbers, um, whether people believe they exist or not, either way, the numbers are there. And um, you got 11. This actually, there's a lot of Crowley magic parallels to JFK and 9-11. Um, one, read Crowley, number of magic itself is 11. Obviously, it's important. And master numbers are just seen as having like potency, potential. It is almost like, a, you know, in astrology, when they look at like squares and opposition, they're seen as like kind of like raw energy that's, you know, it, it, usually escaping in bad ways. That's the tendency. That would be kind of like try to figure out how to deal with those things the best way possible to rectify them. So you have that number, obviously 9, 11. Um, and then. 77, that's a Crowley number that's related to uh, the Hebrew letters, Ein Zion. Their equivalents are seven, or excuse me, 70 for Ein and Zion is seven. And um, the mind weapon, right? Yeah. And so this is what Oz means because the, the or AZ, uh, the, the Hebrew equivalent of Ein, uh, O, or A in English. Um, and so Zion is Z. This is Crowley's Oz glyph. He's, you know, he talks all about that. And, you know, just like you find that Wizard of Oz, the show Oz, all kinds of stuff around that. Sort of like his alchemical hidden illusion. So if you, and then the other aspect of Kabbalah is when you phonate things, the vibration, their viewpoint is they are co-creators with God. And if God speaks things into existence, then they do the same. And so if you phonate Oz, like Oswald, then you're phonating a 77. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> the, uh, I don't remember. Sorry. Well, in Daily Plaza, oh, oh, north oh, and uh, south uh, roots are 77 as well. Oh, interesting. The, uh, I remember what I was going to say was the Oz has also made its way into the quote-unquote mind control programming lore as one of the programs, which I find interesting yes. too, because that's all... Yes based somewhere there are common roots between all of this you know isn't there like a rainbow aspect I, i'm not super well versed some people's like talking about the different mind control triggers but isn't there like a rainbow trigger like your wizard of oz over the rainbow and yeah some it depends i've heard different things but yes the various aspects of the film were used to as triggers or for for control same goes for um was that other movie the i thought there was one that was related to butterflies but i think that was just the monarch programming was just butterfly imagery yeah it was the and butterfly effect the is that what you're thinking of no that's a ray bradbury thing i think yeah the, there's uh, a, i mean we could go down that's a whole different show yeah totally <laughs> flight 77 crashed at 9 37 a.m too <laughs> yeah and um there's other interesting things about the chart where the first plane hits right when Mercury is on the ascendant, and Mercury is making an exact, I think it's like a Pythagorean triangle alignment to the Saturn uh, Pluto opposition. And so, right at that moment of impact, the ascendant and uh, Mercury, I think it's 14 degrees Libra, it's making that alignment right there. So, in astrology, certain planets, especially the quicker ones, like you know, Mercury or, or the moon moving, those would be seen as triggering points for an event, right? So 
but there's a, a macro alignment that, you know, stays Saturn and Pluto will stay opposite each other for, you know, a decent amount of time. But then in order for that, you know, tension in the mechanics of astrology, at least there are trigger planets, the quicker ones will trigger. So you have Mercury, right? The Mercury, the wing messenger is quick, yes, airy, mm-hmm. right? And so you have that intermingled and think about sat, uh, excuse me, Libra. Uh, Libra is the balance, right? The neutralization and mm-hmm. Mercury is a neutralized planet. There's no real polarity added to it. It also rules Gemini, um, which Saturn is in. And it's all part of alchemy, right? You have Saturn, the lead. Yes. You have a two pillars of opposites that you want to harmonize. Mm-hmm. Mercury is like the equilibrium, the, the neutralization. Uh, Saturn is exalted in Libra. So it's kind of like, you know, linking in that way. And in, in terms of Saturn also has functions of justice and objectivity. It's a judgment planet. And so that is why it's exalted in Libra. And that's where my Saturn is, Libra. And so I, I know all about it very well. And um, so it's uh, all these alchemical things are built into the alignment. And then Pluto is the purgatorial fire that destroys and then they rebuild out of the ashes. And of course, what do they give us? One World Freedom Tower at 1776 <laughs> yes. feet high. What, so in that trine, you know what? I didn't realize this. So in that trine, the Pythagorean trine, what... What was the hypotenuse there? What planet? And do you do you know? Um, I did a little video breaking this down, but um, I think we got Mercury. Is that like the 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 tension point? Mm-hmm. And um, so Saturn. And Pluto would be the hypotenuse. That's like the longer one, right? Oh, okay. The bigger ones. Yeah. Yes. The longer. So the 90 degree tension is at um, the the Mercury ascendant, I believe. That's a full charge. Make sure I'm not talking out my ass here. Yes, definitely. Well, this is new information for me. I I did not realize this, Michael. So that's immediately what pops out. Well, what's the hypotenuse here? Because I think that's also something to look at. Oh, okay. No. I can't remember which one it would be. It's either Saturn and Mercury, or I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not brushed up on my geometry right now. It, <laughs> well, the, I've got a note for that for later, anyways. Yeah, but the other interesting thing is when America was founded, Saturn was in 14 degrees Libra, and so this is a big event for America, right? So there was an exact alignment of Saturn on the ascendant from the 1776 chart. I wanted a, to get into this. Yes. Making a trine with the Saturn in Gemini that is having a Saturn return. So a lot of Saturn stuff going on. And then we have the the divine fire that destroys structure and form, you know, intermingled into it. So w- bring us into the this Plutonian aspect that springs us from 1770s in 76 really to hear with all this sure um i actually have a series it's called the new world order i forget it's astrology forecast astrology report i don't remember it's from 2018 and i actually go through all these things in it um it's been a while i can't really remember everything but uh i kind of explain a lot of the functions of planets in astrology but then i talk about how they relate to 
that time and then what's coming up. Um, so what's interesting is in, in, in that, in that series you have, is it in relation to, in, to this, the nine 11 stuff, or is it on its stand? Is it standalone? I bring all this stuff into it. 1776, nine okay. 11, and then what's coming up in 2020 through like 2024. 2026, okay. Like um, so basically, um, the founding of America, if you use the Sibley chart, which is mostly what people use, he was a Freemason. Um, that's the most popular one where here's the other interesting thing. Uh, if this, if you use a Sibley chart, the ascendant descendant axis of the United States is exactly on this Pluto Saturn opposition. I believe it's uh 12 degrees uh sagittarius is the ascendant on the civil chart i'll have to check here but um yeah so that is pretty uh uncanny um yeah the, <laughs> <Indeed it> is. <laughs> and so uh, again you're going by the, the freemasonic chart other people will peg it to different times but um so so there's that aspect and then pluto is in 27 degrees capricorn and pluto takes the longest go through the zodiac and we are about to enter our united states 1776 pluto return in i think like 2020 it's going to start approaching that original place because pluto is what like 20 ish degrees right now uh capricorn so we yeah like, this sounds about right yeah we get seven more degrees to go um and so does that uh if you if you like if, if you're going to apply the catholic version of this Pluto would be like the divine fire of God and God's will. And I relate Mars to like man's will, our free will. And we can choose to go against the Pluto will, but it will destroy us at some point. Our little false egos, our false little towers, I guess if you want to take it to a tarot archetype, will destroy. Um, but if you choose to align with the, the Plutonian core truth, then that will be a harmonious relationship of the, the lower active and the higher active. That's kind of how I would view it. And so does it also way, bring up aspects of things that have been hidden? So in terms of the United States, anything that it has not been upfront about, will be, they'll be forced to deal with during the Pluto return. Exactly. There's like the, the Pluto, in my opinion, it's kind of like the ugly truth at the core that you want to avoid. But the longer you avoid it, the more it destroys you. And then you get broken down to the point of despair where you're like, shit, I just got to be honest here or I'm going to just completely <laughs> destroy myself. And so probably people with like a heavy Scorpio influence can probably relate to that or like an eighth house or have Pluto aspecting something really important in their chart. The, the, the fixated nature of Scorpio, it's kind of like if you hold a grudge or you, you, you hold a belief so fixed you might like take it to the extreme of destroying yourself even if it's false but then eventually like you might um finally be able to be like holy shit you know have i been wrong all this time and it took me to this point to get it and then that becomes very empowering once you're able to overcome that and then the psychological depth of pluto and scorpio once you admit that you start seeing it in everybody else at this deeper level and it's kind of scary because you realize how people are operating a lot of things that they just don't even see. It's all beneath the surface, you know. But in the in that Plutonian Scorpio, that Scorpionic 
transmutation that happens from the Scorpio to the Eagle. You know, that's always so an, an important aspect when, when viewing through, I think for me, when viewing uh, anything in that realm. So eighth house and uh, Scorpio period, which is Pluto in my head. And so there's always that lower level, bottom kind of guttural, possibly fear, or it depends on what we're going for. But there is a rise of the energy that ultimately reveals the greater meaning of what was going on. Yeah. And then the question is, would people have free will? Are they going to admit that or not, you know, and that's sort of like what's interesting about the return in the Sibley chart, it's in the second house. And so that's, you know, the basic values. Um, it just, you know, take it away from the materialistic aspect, but just sort of like your core values, you know, what are the values America was built upon? Was it really these deep rooted Christian values or was it like deistic masonry and uh, mixed with Protestant dissenting Puritans who were quote unquote Judaizing as you would call them. And so is that being revealed that the fruits of 1776 are now being revealed now of, you know, what is the logical conclusion of that mixture of ideologies? And the other interesting thing is that America is historically founded upon anti-Catholicism. Um, there's a lot of, you know, interesting scholarly books you can read about how they were just so terrified of uh, you know any old world influence, and especially the Jesuits and the Jesuits conspiracy stuff, I found is just so erroneous at this point. Like once I actually looked into the <laughs> the real Plutonian core of them, let's yeah, say, yeah. it's just laughable. Some of them, but uh, I won't I won't di uh, digress there. But basically, uh, Catholics either adhere to the Masonic America first, or they don't get let in anywhere. And that's kind of the point of JFK. He was kind of putting the American Masonic democ uh, democratic values first. And then maybe he realized that with some of the things that were going on, well, crap, maybe this, maybe I can't do this or that. Maybe, maybe he had a conscience at some point and maybe that conscience killed him. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not an expert on the JFK presidency, but obviously there's a lot of controversy going around there. Um, but that seems to be the case. And that's the case with the Carroll family. They're like the one Catholic family involved but they had sort of a quasi-Masonic aspect that they sort of evolved into as well. It, it, it does seem to be that the historical representation of any conflict was because of his Catholicism. Yeah, it's like any religion but Catholicism, and that's actually the reason for separation of church and state. I believe that came later, um, but that is actually the, the, the point. And it's kind of a contradiction in a way, which is ironic, because religious freedom except for catholics but because catholics want there to be a unification of church and state that's why we can't accept it and the other funny thing is when you listen to a lot of people uh talk about you know what they believe what their philosophy is what it should be um even if you take it from you know just growing up in america take it to the truther world as i would call it the alternative media mm -hmm. it's funny because people just end up kind of going backwards and what they don't like from what they see with the, you know, the politics, left-right politics being controlled by the same force. They don't like this dialectic, right? But it's ironic they want to go back to something that actually created it, but it just hadn't gotten to the point of shittiness it had gotten to. 
And if you start reading the rhetoric, a lot of Protestant dissenters uh, in Protestant England, when the Anglican church formed, they all thought the Anglican church was too Catholic. So this is really where the Protestant dissenters, people like Cromwell, uh, you know, they're, they're beheading the king and stuff. And, you know, Charles I was, he was a pretty messed up dude in a lot of ways. He was kind of a nut and he kind of made a lot of bad decisions. So I'm not, I'm not exonerating him. But the funny thing is Cromwell is calling him out for all those things. But when Cromwell takes over, he actually just does all the things that he was complaining about Charles I doing. <laughs> he like, you know, imposes his will on parliament and all this stuff. And so those dissenters are the ones that came over to America and the Puritans were the ones that really influenced a lot of our country. But like I said, if you read the rhetoric of all these different Protestant dissenters, and there's like 15 or 16 different groups, it almost sounds like a lot of the truthers today, what they think things should be about. It's just like, they're just going back to that Protestant center ideology because they're disillusioned with what the Anglican church turned into, but they're also sort of disillusioned with, what America turned into. And that's why I think it's a strange mixture of this Masonic deistic Roman Republic, because that's what a lot of the founding fathers were going for. They were going for pagan Rome before Christianity took root, you know, these Roman republics. Um, and then, like I said, there was that sort of uh, Protestant Judaizing faction involved. I wonder how many of them were pedophiles. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's one of those things too, where where things degrade over time. And I, I probably, since you said that, probably touch upon like all that stuff in the church, um, where there's a lot of interesting angles to that too. Where um, there's one guy, he's a Catholic. Um, I'm not saying I I agree with everything he says, but he he talks. He did a research on this book, Infiltration. He wrote. His name is Dr. Taylor Marshall, and he talks about how particular cardinals or particular high ups who are involved in like covering up a lot of the things that have been going on. They have these weird connections to like almost like OTO stuff or they're, 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 they're in the vicinity of some of these circles. So people wonder if like they were exposed to that and some of them were infiltrators because what ended up happening was Infiltration became a huge problem for the Catholic Church. I mean, that's the point of the Inquisition. That's really the only reason it even happened is because they realized that a lot of these Jews were not very sincere in their conversion. Some of them are more understandable than others, but some of them were really getting out of control. And this actually gets into the Sabatine Francus. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, they're crazy messianic Judaism cult. I mean, most Jews will say like that was like satanic Judaism, but a lot of them thought that. Uh, Sabbatai Zevi was the, the Jewish Messiah in 1666, I think. <laughs> nice year. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and so I think the, the next incarnation was uh, the Frankists, and they started to try to convert Catholicism, but they couldn't behave. They, they had this crazy, like, sex cult, like, like, redemption through sin doctrine, where, like, the more debaucherous you was, the more closer the kingdom of God was coming, stuff, weird stuff like that. So they all converted to Catholicism, and once they couldn't behave to the morality, the Catholics kicked them all out. So there's a long history of infiltration. And so when you want to bring in all of the weird church scandals, well, a lot of them have happened, you know, since the sexual liberation and post-Vatican II, or there were some seeds before Vatican II, and then they appointed people. There was like this sort of like a Bella Dodd stuff where there were communist people who admitted that they were directed to infiltrate the church and 
basically spread, you know, kind of like Bolshevik type rhetoric or, you know, Marxist type stuff or, you know, whatever. And that might have something to do, I don't know, with like the weird liberation theology in South America. I'm not really sure. But the point is there has been infiltration going on. And then a lot of the people who are tied to these scandals have ties back to these circles. Um, so th there's more to it than just, oh, all the Catholic priests are pedophiles, right? And then bring in the media with that, and then you could start putting the spotlight, <laughs> so to speak, on that. Not only uh, the like, media, but the dignitaries, uh, the royal families. Every, it seems, seems to be in just about every organization. At least yeah. that's woven. Yeah, what it looks like. Woven. Yeah. And I did a video on cult Catholicism uh, there was actually a, an article, a great article from Psychology Today, which is no fan of Catholic morality or anything like that. So they, they have no reason to be biased. But they were basically saying that if you want to evaluate the, the, the church, you know, pedophilia scandals, one, if you actually stack it up over sexual abuse in all these other institutions, mm -hmm. it's no worse than anything else. In fact, it's lower than most things. And you're more likely to be abused in such fashions in a public school system, which is like way higher. And ironically, public schools is where you learn about science and that debunks evil religion that has pedophiles, right? So there's a contradiction there. There's more uh, likelihood of abuse there, a lot more. And then Protestant churches actually have more abuse than Catholic churches, but there's a reason why Catholics get more of the, the brunt of it is because one, it's centralized, right? Yeah. There is a, they have their funds and their money all tied together. Whereas Protestants, you know, you can have some crappy evangelical church down the road that has nothing to do with the, the mega place where Joel Osteen is. They have nothing to do with each other. And so there's no centralized form where they can collect this money. And so it's actually not lucrative for lawyers to go after Protestant sex abuse cases, even though there's more of them. So think about how messed up that is. There's more sexual abuse in Protestant churches, but because the lawyers want money, they go after the Catholic church because they have more money. It's more centralized. So it's more publicized, so it's more in your face. Yeah, and so also I started looking into yoga sex cults, and you actually realize that a lot of the types of yoga in the United States, the, act the founders of them were either... Uh, sexually abusing people around them. It wasn't pedophilia, but like they'd be having sex with their students. Some of them would be married and stuff like that. But there were some that did have pedophilia. There was actually like crazy stuff that I couldn't even believe when I was reading it. And it was written by yoga instructors. So they're just trying to flesh this stuff out of their system. But like the, the one guy, I think is Yogi Bhajan or something, one, like one of the Beatles ones or something. Like he had crazy stuff going on. I was he impregnating all these girls. And then he was flying them to India to get abortions. To and, um, they were, yeah, it's just, they were all like <laughs> brainwashed by him. And it's just, it's crazy. And then the funny thing is, there's a lot of people who have high up ties to like Hollywood, the UN, uh, upper echelons of government that's kind of in all these different countries. They're all part of this like Yogi Bhajan cult or whatever. So isn't it weird? how you have all these politicians that are involved in all this sordid stuff. And there's a lot of like these weird kind of yoga sex cults that they're all they're They all have circles or ties to. So is there a weaponization there that sort of tied to kind of like we were talking about with Carl Jung's psychology, where 
um, or even Wilhelm Reich. One of the sordid things about Wilhelm Reich is the dude was a straight up pedophile. I mean, if you read about him, like I don't understand how you could read it any other way. And uh, the other thing is he, he had this method called um, vegetotherapy. I just call it vegetable therapy because it just makes you a vegetable. And the whole point, he came from Austria, I believe Bavaria. That's like a really Catholic area. And so he was trying to take the morality that had been instilled in the people there, girls of their youth, and his vegetable therapy or whatever he called it, was basically, oh, you have this armor, this lead, right, of Saturn, of these moral restrictions, and that's bad for you. So we need to get rid of that through his weirdo, whatever system it was. Oh, and then eventually wow. he ends up having sex with them. And then one of them, he, it, there's some evidence it's not confirmed, but like the girl died and they think it was a botched abortion. They think that Reich did it because he was a doctor. And it's not like Planned Parenthood today. Back in Catholic Austria, you had to go underground if you were going to get an abortion because like that was seen as really bad, right? And there was like laws against it. And if Reich is a doctor, and he's impregnating somebody and she has a botched abortion or like there's evidence of that. This is all the crazy stuff going on with him. And like, I just can't believe how much he's promoted in the alternative quote unquote, <laughs> truther world. Just sickening. Once I looked into him, I was like, dude, I've lost all my faith in like the alternative media because there's so much like orgon energy stuff. I'm just like, dude, like it's literally like pedo energy. If you look into it, you can go into my series to go into it. It's really rough reading. And, you can read Reich himself, man. He's just like talking about and his childhood masturbating horses and like getting off on it. It's like really sick. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yoga, I mean, if I remember correctly, I'd read that it, it had been associated with uh, Satanism or was considered satanic by the church at some point. And Crowley was way into yoga. It's, it seemed to me like it was possibly a, a G-rated sex magic. Yeah, and that's where it actually stems back from. I was reading an article by, again, I'm reading like from yoga teachers. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, it's oftentimes in the West when people enter a yoga class. And I'm not, like, if people want to do yoga, I don't care. I'm just saying, like, other spiritual influences there that are being promoted that are, you know, they're, they're hard to separate from that. And so this woman in the article was writing that, you know, a lot of this stuff actually just literally came from Indian sex cults and like sort of pseudo sex magic, probably maybe not as hardcore as OTO stuff, but I've read a few um, different snippets from different books on like some of the, the, the more extreme Tantra stuff, and it's really messed up. And I'm like, well, that does sound like OTO stuff. So, you know, once you know the source of something, um, I think you can make a better decision on if you want to invest in it. But the, the point of the article was that nobody's told this. And so my point would be, well, if, you, if you're about to adhere to a new spirituality or at least just like try it out, wouldn't you want to know if its creator was a pedophile? Wouldn't that be important information for you? You know what I mean? Like, would that at least like just be a good thing to know? <laughs> right, right, this right. Is, this brings in like an important point though. So when it's, okay, so this is like origin stuff. And so say the normal person, and I'd, I say normal loosely, the the average person that's wanting to get into shape right or get in touch with their body via a yoga class that's one level and and that's that's a whole different situation we're talking about yoga cults 
and um, and also origins of of how it got distilled into into where it is now. And this is another thing to understand in all of this, in everything we talk about, is what is the seed? You know, what what was the seed, and now what is the fruit? And uh, so this is not to behoove anyone that loves and enjoys yoga. This is this is not about that. We're just we're. Um, it's good to know the past, and it's good to understand this stuff and where it could have how it how it how it's reverberated into the surface layers of the collective and so i don't know it it's how we weigh things out so the millions of people that practice say the surface level of yoga for getting in touch with their bodies and and breathing techniques and all this for whatever the reasons a lot of people start doing yogic practices to push through death i know there's a whole whole section of that lou reed is a good example in that and uh so he's dead isn't he yes but okay. he used his yogic techniques as his wife laurie anderson talked about in pressing through that married to laurie anderson yes for oh, years superman yeah, yeah, and I think that was a great disclaimer. I mean, you know, that was what I was trying to say, but you put it to the a better Plutonian you know core than I did. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, Michael? And so I don't want I don't want it to come off as like it, it's like people would join the Masons. It's like just because you join the Masons for whatever reason doesn't mean you're inherently attached to the organization has its history. But I think that at some point it's where is your perspective and understanding, understand, uh, this is my biggest thing in life anyway, question reality and question why you're doing things. And so with yoga, if you're doing, you want to get healthy and fit, that's one thing. And that's great. We're not down on yoga here. Yeah. I think a great analogy is like, I'm an American. I don't like a lot of things about you know, the upper echelons of American society, what it does, but there's still some things I, I appreciate and I, I enjoy and I love. And so it's, it's balancing the things out and not making like an idol out of something into a level that is going to lead you down a bad path. And that's kind of like, you know, with anything like you were saying about masonry, it, it's like, um, you know, that, that, that is sort of an aspect of it where, you know, I'm just hanging out with people you know, doing what we do, and it's not going to any of these crazy areas, but is there dangers attached to getting to the esoteric level of a lot of these things? And a lot of the times, I think that that is where a lot of the the exploitation comes. And I think one of the best examples of that is like, uh, have you ever seen the Source Family documentary? Maybe I mentioned this the last time we were on, but like crazy cult stuff going on in there, the Father Yod. And um, oh yes, I think right. it's a great I example call. of this, oh, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like they're all like doing this like new agey kind of occult yoga, Eastern whatever, and just look what was going around. So like that stuff is involved in a lot of those things. But if you know, I don't have any problem whatsoever if like somebody's feeling better physically and they they've lost their back pain or even they they have some sort of like element of it that is 
is helpful. I don't think that that, I think that that is real, but certain things like hit their ceilings or certain things it's easy to be led down this or that path. Like if I was going to be like one of these staunch, like, I, you know, I'm you know, happy to be in, uh, in America, but if I go full blown, drink the freedom juice and say, go get them Muslims, I'm going to buy myself a freedom pin. Yes, and obviously exactly. that's a big problem. <laughs> you know, I will criticize that. I understand why people do it, but I think that that might be an analogy that's less, you know, esoteric or less spiritual, like more. Yeah, that's perfect. And it it is, and it speaks, this is one of the things that bothers me in everything is when we start talking about cult of personality and, and how all of this stuff blends in, like you, you get into something on a, at the surface level and and a lot of times this is where you're getting plucked out of too people are getting plucked out of it the the moonies come to surface too uh and and for good reasons for whatever self-healing whatever the reasons are and and then all of a sudden how the cult of personality can unfold and pull you in deeper and so this is why it's always a good idea to just continue to question things it's all right it's not i think we owe it to ourselves to question to question things and ask where we're going when there's all of a sudden a guru you know this whole guru thing bothers me anyway (laughs) it's like you know this is this is a big deal and i think oh sorry go ahead yeah i was oh i was i was just Oh, sorry, you're breaking up, maybe. That's why I was... Hello? Yeah, I handed it back to you. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, yeah, and, like, you're... I think that the, at least... At the least, like, for me, I just like to give what I call red flags. You know, are there certain things that you just want to be aware of? And then you can choose to do what you want. With it. And that's kind of the point of my cult Catholicism series. There's a lot of things that I point out that to me are red flags within certain worldviews or certain ideologies you can choose to accept it but at least know that and if you choose that even though i don't or i you know i think that there's something wrong with it at least we're accepting or rejecting on the same terms and i can respect that or we can respect each other and that's what i i guess the freemasonry part of it i was thinking about because like this is the difference, I guess, with Freemasonry. If you get into these upper echelon doctrines, it's like they say it's totally fine to deceive those below you um, in these ways that what the upper level Masons are professing to is not the same thing below. Whereas in traditional Catholicism, whatever you might think about it, what I would say is that at least the whole point is that the, the upper echelon clergy are all professing to believe the same thing that you are, and you're actually doing the same things that they do. You take the Eucharist, you go to confession, you get the sacraments. You're all sharing in that system together, so you are equal with anybody despite the aristocratic structure involved, whereas with masonry, the upper levels, they don't adhere to the same things as the lower levels, and to me, that, that would be a red flag just in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, man, there's so much, there's part of this whole journey in, for me is this idea of trying to remain lucid and, and this is how people get tied into stuff that where they, 
they lose that lucidity, which is that whole questioning thing. And then they wake up and they're like, well, how did I get this deep into something? You know, like how did the, the you know, the, it's like the, the pitcher plant, right? Carnivorous plant that sucks you in with the belly. <laughs> yeah. And my but analogy. Michael, I'm wondering, like, so how does how does all this, like, winding back around to 9-11, where do you think, how is this going to weave forward? So from everything that it's been and everything that we've set up here and all that, and moving into the 2020s and how all of this is, has blossomed out, all of this stuff that's come out of it, uh, <clears throat> Will we get perfect vision in 2020? <laughs> you know, like what? What's I hope so because mine's getting worse. I know mine is too. It's all my computer research, though. It's the I know the reading and all that. Like, these aren't like these are my uh, computer glasses because I've been doing so much research. So I'm trying to. T the, I don't need glasses actually, but like this helps me not have that that blue light that it's like. Yeah, me those are good. These are my sense. these are my glasses for my computer too. So I. I guess they also they like, give me the benefit of maybe looking a little smarter than I am. You do. You look super smart with them on. <laughs> That's saying that is quite a statement, Michael. You're super smart. Anyway, so I didn't mean where, to do you see, where do you see this going? So, like, since it's nine eleven, kind of wanted to just come back to that. And as we move forward, you see that it's taken on a, a cult status now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you were talking about, there's this sort of ritual that's just ongoing with it. It's no different than JFK, right? I mean, people are still kind of obsessed. I mean, I fell into it big time doing like hundreds of hours of research on it. So for better or for worse, you know, we're all kind of victims of this sort of deep mystery behind it all. And uh, moving forward, I don't know. I mean, if you take it to that Plutonian core, it's like, well, is the truth really being exposed now? And I think we should also bring in Neptune and Pisces into it because that's the realm of, you know, the transcendental and spirituality, but at the same time, it's the realm of delusions and, and falling for abstract things without much core structure. You can't see the boundaries, right? And I kind of make these analogies that the outer planets, um, another interesting alignment, I think, was the. Uh, Uranus was trying itself in the 1973 chart and the 9-11 event by like a degree too. So the, the illumination, the suddenness and the, the shock, right? Where the, the Uranian aspect, it takes a system that kind of stays intact, right? The United States, the government, it's kind of stayed intact, but like the way you view it moving forward, like changes forever. And so like all of the planets, I think moving forward, this might kind of help to make this analogy where Saturn is sort of like has a unique relationship to the, the three outer planets. I just kind of call them the planets of God, right? Like God's will versus man's will. We hit at the seventh planet. Uh, you know, that used to be all we could see until we got the fancy telescopes and stuff, right? The, the visible planets with the naked eye. And so Uranus hits a shock to the a, a Saturn structure, right? So it's like if I, um, you know, my family might be intact, but if I all of a sudden find out that like my 
I'm adopted. <laughs> well, that changed how I view that whole structure and stuff like that. So that might be like a shocking moment that changes your perception, but there's still my family. They're still around me. That hasn't changed. So that's sort of like one aspect of it. And then the Pluto one, it's like, it just destroys the structure completely. And I think that that is really the dominant thing moving forward of what's going on with the return, especially in America. And so you have a lot of people that are reacting to that and they don't want to admit the truth, but it's really destroying them. And I could, I, you know, I, I hate to always pick on the SJWs, but they're like the best example of it. Like they are in such a contradictory worldview and they're just a state of bipolarity and they're very self-destructive, uh, not just to them and everybody else, because maybe they can't handle that their worldview is something not right about it. And so they're, dissolving you know and i feel bad but like you got to listen to reason sometimes and i'm not exonerating the trump side or saying like that's where we all got to go i'm not saying that i'm just saying that they're probably a better example of that destruction um and so neptune you know dissolves the saturnian instruction uh, uh structure i kind of view it like the ocean over a, a beach house over time it just dissolves things and the, the form kind of withers away and you can't really tell what's the wave and what's the house and you know eventually it all just dissolves and there's a big dissolving and then all the water comes in and it's a slow kill basically so i think we have those things going on where there's this slow dissolving but it's also kind of heightened right now um and so it, there's all these different things going on that you can really see relating. And I think that there's an aspect moving forward where if you combine the Pluto and Neptune, uh, you know, importance, it's kind of like, well, the Plutonian core is cutting through the delusion, but it's forcing everybody to kind of look at things in a more spiritual way. I mean, even science, the occult science, as I was talking about it, they always bring it to Eastern religion to mix into science that was kind of the end of my occult science series where all that transhumanist stuff the only religion that is being co-opted with that is like the avatar hinduism and stuff like that and that is part of blavatsky's theosophy where they like to me darwinian evolution is just the exoteric version of this sort of uh i guess eastern uh unification of spirit and matter based upon the theosophical viewpoint and um, honestly, I think a lot of what people think is sort of Eastern religion in the West is probably just more theosophy because um, here's another interesting, uh, I guess, parallel. I'm not trying to knock David Icke here. I, I, I went through some of his books to try to point out some maybe some red flags to like maybe some of the things he's saying like aren't really quite the best like things to adhere to. And, and one of them is that through, you know, getting overly obsessed with synchronicity and being led somewhere and not worrying about the details that can be destructive in and of itself because he talks about how you know the archons are all after us and all that stuff and he calls madame blavatsky an archon and theosophy is like all part of the false system right but then in his books he says that gandhi is of the spirit of truth that he's aligned to but if you read gandhi's autobiography he was actually a uh, a devoted disciple of Madame Blavatsky. Like he would only adhere to her theosophy. He wouldn't go to anybody else. And he says that 
oh, Madame Blavatsky and her theosophy helped me understand the, the superstitious aspects of my Hinduism and allowed me to be in this universal brotherhood. And so it's like, okay, Mr. Ike, like, if Blavatsky is an archon, but Gandhi is a the truth, then why is he a disciple of Blavatsky? That makes no sense. And so like these contradictions keep coming up and think about all the people in the alternative media and the truth of the world that just kind of go with this stuff. But you really got to look into where these things come from. And I guess that's the, that Plutonian core where those things are going to be exposed at some point. And I think the more you do that in truth and are just honest about it, I think the more protected you'll be from whatever's coming. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that there is a positivity to it that if enough people want to adhere to a, a better way of being that is more in line with reason, but with a spiritual component attached as well, not just this empirical science that we're all programmed mm -hmm. to believe in. And I think that looking to our roots and, and our creator, like I said, whether you believe in Catholicism or not, it, it, it did create Western civilization. I mean, the, the scholarly world, when it doesn't have this incredible bias, just frankly admits that. And ironically, there is this aspect of the Luciferian, you know, turning on your creator built into our whole collective humanity the last 2000 years where the Protestant Reformation could be seen as one of them. Obviously, they won't look at it that way. But the, the Enlightenment, mm -hmm. and uh, this gets back to 1776, right? There's the Bavarian Illuminati. Right. Um, and we can, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think it might be good to talk about that a little bit in a second. But uh, before I do that, that, that would be like the last thing I would really want to say uh, to discuss that a little bit more French Revolution, because I think that that's really important. Oh, but in terms of moving forward, that, that's I, what I see. And if there's any other questions on I that, a couple I'll, I'll I have something to say. I had a couple of things to say. First of all, that um, this just to bring everything you talked about back a little bit further, this full moon on Friday is conjunct Uranus and, oh, I lost the page. Um, it's conjunct the moon. So the moon's conjunct Neptune, rather. Uh, and it's in Pisces, mm -hmm. which were the two things we were talking about. Yes. It was like 10 minutes ago. I didn't get a chance to get in there. <laughs> you had said earlier something about unifying church and state. We were talking about Kennedy, and I think you said the Protestants would like that? Or that's their no, goal? Not their um, goal. I was just saying that the that evolved into like a typical American value, right? Mm. The, the separation of church and state. And my contention is that it's not separate. It's just this occult science version that was again the, the occult science series right. trying to demonstrate that whereas the old version of it was the catholic christendom and it was probably in modernity the last incarnation of that was the habsburg empire that um was taken out uh, by napoleon uh, the holy roman empire officially dissolved under napoleon but it still sort of carried on in another name under the emperor of austria and then really uh world war one and then like the nazi regime just really lost all that stuff that, that there's some really interesting stuff going on with the, the habsburgs and the dialectics formed around it where both the anglo-american establishment and the like sort of germanic enlightenment which turned into nazism they both hate the habsburgs and the jesuit regime because that was the last bastion of the Catholic church and state. And again, a lot of people tremble in fear at that. But I think if you understand the 
it on its own terms, it's, it's a lot different than what we think. And there's so many different people that are uh, very uh, in fear about that. And uh, the Nazis were one of them. Mm. Well, now we got the EU to deal with. Well, also in this, in this particular chunk of talking about Uranus, Uranus is in Taurus now too. And so for seven years, right yeah it just entered the other year that was actually one of the things i talked about in the uh new world order astrology so that's that also is at play here how things and so if we look at that collective things that structure you know are things that make us comfortable can all of a sudden be completely wiped away by new information and all this other stuff with plutonium stuff and and this but high into deep systems and uh higher structures as well as you know into the personal charts of you might get a divorce here you know the house might burn down or whatever and uh so i do think it's an important aspect to consider when we're looking about the these particular times we're in these and and as you call it the outer planets that are like the god planets or you know the the fateful stuff the stuff that the ancients couldn't see and uh i think it's going to have a significant effect on us collectively throughout the next seven years tying in with all this other stuff yeah that's actually something i did cover um i talked about it in relationship relationships because venus ruled and um it, you know taurus typically has those kind of second house themes that we talked about with like the values right and so if uranus has this sort of like super progressive element to it they're really trying to transmute the old world version of relationships right there's all this like transgender stuff going on there's all this sort of like we can have relationships with robots and and you know uranus is all about technology and technological advancement so I kind of just, I kind of talked about a lot of that stuff, a lot of the weird like VR porn stuff they're coming out with, where they have like thirteen-year-old kids like having sex with these sex dolls in like Asia. It's really twisted shit, and that that is kind of like the Aeon of Horus Crowley stuff, where the, the the child has no moral restrictions, and that's kind of what it is happening, or at least that's what they're projecting towards. And then the other aspect of it is you know Taurus being this sort of like fertile gardening type of sign um, and related to, you know, the earth and stuff like that. You have all of this stuff tied to veganism, the green movement. Um, the UN is promoting all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, upset anybody who's vegan out there, but there's some red flags that I went over in the occult Catholicism series that I think are tied to that and that are really tied back to like the Fabian society, the Fabian socialists which are sort of tied into these theosophical Madame Blavatsky, Alice Bailey circles in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And Gandhi was a vegetarian. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> uh, there's, there's, yeah, again, if you go to a cult Catholicism series, I touch upon that. And uh, I might get a little cranky about it because I've had some destructive things that have happened to my girlfriend on that diet that really kind of, it's like, you know, I don't, I, People can do what they want, but for me, what I saw, like, start fucking with my family, like, I get pissed. And so I was really, um, 
I started getting a little more harsh about that, just the agenda about it, generally speaking. Again, if people adhere to the diet individually, I'm not knocking them or anything like that, but I'm talking about the collective agenda around it. Well, that's that's in the end what all this kind of boils down to is is when it comes out of the personal this is this is my biggest thing in life is is question the agenda around you question agendas around you question what's coming at you and these stories so it's a you know the vegan thing is a is it has become its own cult and like climate uh, change listen i've been a vegan i was a vegan a very long time but now you know I'm also a win in Rome person, so I'm not going to be that person sitting at a big family banquet and there's literally nothing to eat and I won't eat it. You know, I, I, I'm I, I'm mutable like that. So I don't have anything against your personal choices. It's just when it becomes an agenda and a cult into itself, into exactly. and of itself. And I was a vegetarian for a while too, and I was exactly like you where it's like, you know, I show up at a house. They didn't know that they made me, you know, a uh, hamburger meal. I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to be an ass. <laughs> you know, like, come on. That was really, my, that was my viewpoint on it. At least you really wanted to screech. Didn't you? <laughs> really? Yeah. So that it's funny because a lot of that stuff is tied to, um, the, a lot of the, the feminism agendas that are like that SJW Gloria Steinem stuff. And actually that's where a lot, I drew a lot of my sources from. I like to go to the thrift store and buy $2 books. And I bought this one called the sexual politics of meat. And it's by this professor of the eighties, this, this feminist professor. And she's talking about how meat is a archetype of the patriarchy and that we need to all start becoming vegetarian to get away. And it was just, it was, and it, it, but it was really actually a useful book because it traced the history of it. And I'm like, Man, it's really weird how all this stuff goes back to like Plato and like, but it's it's a social engineering where it's like, well, the masses eat the grains and the elite eat the meat. And uh, what's what do we have with the food pyramid, right? right. Where we at the top, it, it, there's like a transmutation there. At the top, there's a couple things that we know, like sugar. We know that's not good for us, right? Mm -hmm. But they also equilibrate that with like fats and stuff like that. And there's debates like, well our brains need that and stuff like that. So is there a trick? And then the, the bottom of the pyramid, which we're supposed to eat the most of is grains and vegetables. And I'm like, is there some weird, like a cult thing built in there that they're messing with us with this food pyramid? I don't know. It doesn't have to be a cult. It could just be control mechanism. So, yeah. Yeah. But it tried back to Plato. It's like the that's hidden, right. If we yeah. just keep with the purity of the word, it's just, you know, it makes sense in that context when you say a cult. So but it so, also gets into the Republic like Plato's Republic, that's kind of, I think, these, these old Roman Republics, that's kind of what they're trying to resurrect in this founding of America, or at least a certain faction. Would. So that's kind of like what I was alluding to. Like their deist masonry is tied to Plato in a lot of ways. And so that, there, there is an occult element from Freemasonry that you can bring into that. But then there's also just the subconscious organic manifestations of things. Like I think you guys... Mm -hmm. So I've been, I've, I was thinking while you were talking about uh, the, the transgender agenda, not necessarily the agenda, but like the rise in it being in our face, right? And whatnot, just all that's going on around that right now. And how that kind of feeds into the whole blending of the sexes and transhumanism and everything. And then 
it ties back to Crowley, just like everything else. All this stuff kind of always goes back to Crowley at some point. I'm wondering, this is the question I'm getting into. What do you, do you think perhaps that his influence has, uh, like, I, I'm not convinced that there are people running the agenda overall. I think there are lots of tiny agendas and they're catching waves of energy where they can to, to prop themselves up, if you will. And one such wave could be Crowley's influence in, in that area. You know, the whole Age of Horus thing. That's pretty well seated in the, con- in, the, in the collective. I would think that it has legs somewhere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I mean, for me, obviously, even before I came back to Catholicism, I always thought there was some sort of like extra dimensional, I guess you could just say demonic. I know that's kind of like a I'll take overused it. term, but like some other forces that have influence and guide humanity and certain destructive groups or factions are kind of like under their dominion, this, this other way of things going on. And so we have like a strange, unique relationship to that. And that's sort of like, I guess that would be like the as above, so below part sure. of it, where we, we are at the heart of it, but at the same time, there's something outside of us as well that is trying to influence us. And we can, we have the free will to accept or reject certain things. So I think that that to me explains more about all this stuff. And I don't believe that there is like, these like 10 groups of people that get together and be like, <laughs> no, 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 going no, to do no. this. But no. I think that there are people that tend towards like plans that are part of a collective and they're sort of fighting. But this again gets into the, the dialectics I was talking about. Sure, where... sure, sure, sure. There's the faction. It's called factions. There's factions yeah. on earth. But I think too that these, let's just call them uh, fifth dimensional, whatever. Uh, they're outside of our space-time continuum, but they can affect things here. I don't think, I think that the people like the secret societies and whatnot have, have figured out their patterns and they're using those energetic patterns to their, to their own, you know, designs. Not that they're in cahoots with them per se, but they're more like tail riders, coattail riders. Yeah, I think you'd also make the argument too that I mean, for me, there's like God, and then under that umbrella is all these things going on. That's just like my view. And that evil, quote unquote, has a purpose for a greater good. And because we have free will, beings can choose to accept or reject. So, in the, you know, the Catholic teaching is like, well, there's certain angelic spiritual entities that are purely spiritual that had all the knowledge that they ever were going to have, versus us humans, we develop our knowledge. We screw up, we can change, you know, whatever, or we can not change, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, but we don't know everything. And that is part of the uniqueness. And so if there's a certain faction that knew God and rebelled, they've made a conscious choice that, well, we want to be the head honcho. And to me, that paradigm just kind of makes sense, even without like the the religious part of it attached to it, just based upon how I see history and, and how I see things in my personal life within myself and interacting with people and certain things that I've felt around me, certain influences where I think things and I'm like, is this my own thought? Is this not? It doesn't matter. I can still choose that thought and like a lot of strange stuff with that. And so 
I think there's an aspect of that. I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question. No, I, I don't know if there is an answer. It was just a thought I had while you were talking. Mm -hmm. So you were said you had one last thing you were going to wrap with? Oh, I just guess maybe I want to talk a little bit about the French Revolution that ties into that 1776 because yes, that's the height of the Freedom Tower, right? Right. Um, and I think that this is really, when I started looking into this, this was really the turning point for me of like, holy crap, because, you know, I'm, Michael, Joseph's my middle name. My last name is an Italian name. I kind of keep it hidden for multiple purposes when it's hard to pronounce and people wouldn't remember it very well, but I'm part French and part Italian, most, mostly French. And so those are historically some of the more Catholic countries. So is it weird? Like maybe I'm, we're, we're all just kind of at the same time going back to once we came. I don't know something about that too with this whole Pluto thing. But once I started studying the French Revolution and, and what happened to Bourbon Catholic France, that was another one of those regimes that the, the church and state were unified. And over time, it was starting to slowly break down. And this is where the constitutions started getting promoted. And when I read um, the, uh, the OG conspiracy theorist, Augustin Barrowell, he was a French Jesuit. And he wrote this book called Memoirs of the History of Jacobinism. And he was illustrating the French Revolution. And there is a major error in it. And I don't really fault him for it. But he kind of, in the end, blames the Bavarian Illuminati as kind of like the cause and not just a symptom. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm not, a, I, I think that those doctrines of the Illuminati and Weishaupt, they are destructive in a way, or at least against Catholicism. Uh, but I don't think that they were the source of it because this stuff was developing over the 18th century and to be coming out of 1776, just a little over 10 years later to have the revolution, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So really, I think it was a Masonic attack from Britain and how it works is that they promote a certain type of masonry in Britain, which is a constitutional monarchy and is sort of like a connection to God. And then from that, they exported this Masonic grand orient, radical atheist, like uh, kill all monarchs version into the Dutch lowlands and then slowly disseminated that into France. And there were some traitors involved. And this is what's so crazy about that book. Even if you just take out the Illuminati blame, which kind of led to a lot of conspiracy theories, but that, that have been ridiculous and Taco Bell commercials about the Illuminati. But They're not bad the, commercials. <laughs> the, the first book, The Anti-Christian Conspiracy, is when I read that, it was just so incredibly damning to the Enlightenment creators like Voltaire, um, uh, D'Alembert, Diderot, and then people who stemmed off of that, Thomas Paine or whatever, like they, they were all part of that school. And then what that book does is in their own words, you see their writings to each other about what they're doing. And this is crazy. I, I, when I read this, I just, it, I changed my whole perspective. They're basically... Everything that the truth of the world complains about, what the government does to us, it slowly indoctrinates with the propaganda, it changes definitions over time, all that stuff. These guys were the OG creators of this. And in their doctrines, Voltaire is saying to his, his homeboys, Frederick the Great of Prussia was one of them. Um, Shocking. They're, fo they're following the mysteries of Mithras, right. and they're going to illuminate the masses by degrees at their disposal 
of disseminating these Illuminist doctrines into Catholic France. And they are slowly, through the encyclopedia, that was one of their developments. That's not the first encyclopedia. I think the, the Catholic uh, Isidore of Seville, I think that's his name. He was like an old school Middle, middle Ages or Dark Ages Catholic. That was like the first sort of encyclopedia as far as I know, but they made the, like the modern encyclopedia and like every new edition, they changed little definitions to try to indoctrinate people slowly into their enlightenment principles. But again, they were based upon the pagan mysteries of Mithras. Voltaire was a Freemason. All these dudes are Freemasons. You read Masonic dictionary that they, they document the lodges they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so revering the founding fathers were too. Yeah. Yeah. And they're revering Julian, the apostate who, Basically, the whole point about him is he tried, he teamed up with the Jews who rejected Christ to try to rebuild the temple, which is supposed to be a prophecy that that can't really happen. And the, the idea is there was like a, you know, a miracle of sorts where they tried and divine fire came out and uh, destroyed it. So, you know, people can believe that to be mythology or whatever, but it didn't happen. And he rejected Christianity. And Constantine obviously is known for establishing Christianity as a religion in its first incarnation. So that's in. 313 and then think about that that's like the, the foundation year and there's some weird stuff with frame 313 and jfk and like you know all this old world battle and so my point is voltaire and his buddies are saying like julian the apostate is like their hero and basically what they're saying in their letters to each other it's like well if julian the apostate would approve this then we will do it but if he would be against this then we're not going to do it so he's like their guru in a way and if you look at Julian the Apostate, he, he's got weird history where he was initiated into these mysteries and some weird like blood ritual of bathing in like animal blood and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty crazy stuff. And so this is their spirit that they're channeling. They're trying to bring back this old pagan empire before Christianity. And what they're doing is they're admitting like, oh, I'm going to go into the priesthood or the clergy and I'm going to pretend to religion. I'm going to pretend <laughs> to be Catholic in order to to subvert it. And then here's the, the, the buzzwords that they use to describe the Catholic empire. It's superstition, it's fanaticism, it's darkness, it's tyranny, it's bigotry. Like all of the buzz terms that you will hear in a modern textbook to describe yes, the old world. Yes, And if you read in Masonry, Adam mm-hmm. Blavatsky, they use all the same terminology. So this is what I find really ironic. All these groups that really shouldn't have much to do with each other, if you're going to be like a scientific atheist and you think all that Freemasonry is weird or whatever, mm-hmm. you actually have the same buzzwords and propaganda terms to talk about Catholic France and before that. And yet everybody's saying we're free thinkers. We all think freely here and they might, but why do they always unify on these same propaganda buzz terms? It's no different than watching Fox News and MSNBC <laughs> during 9-11 where they all tell you the same damn story, but Fox is supposed to be against NBC or whatever, right? And so you can really see, like, if that was all invented to destroy and subvert a culture, and that was its core, right? That was its Plutonian core of its revolution. And it was basically what it led to was the genocide of the aristocracy of Catholicism, the priests, the, the nuns and everything. They were beheaded. They, they took priests and nuns out, and they, they drowned them in the, the ocean. Like, there was crazy shit that went down. and. The, 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 um, the insiders of this revolution were the, the Voltaires and all these people that the modern world was supposed to hail as these amazing people. And the other interesting thing is Voltaire was one of the original gangsters of 
the, the, the Jesuits or the Catholic church being pedophiles and homosexuals or whatever. Like he was writing this in like Candide or whatever, but subtly insinuating it. And, um, you know, so there has been an historical propaganda and yeah, again, I'm not trying to get into like a homosexual issue here. I'm just trying to say the hypocrisy where he's bashing the Jesuits and the church as being homosexuals because back then it wasn't very popular to be one. But Frederick the Great was actually gay, as far as most people know. Oh, Voltaire was conspiring were. with him. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He didn't have a problem with his homosexuality, <laughs> but so the invented people. version of a project on the Catholics. So what I'm, my point is, they're just hypocrites. They're liars and they're deceiving everybody. And they're doing it because they think that they're justified and becoming the new aristocracy. And this is what America is actually built upon, but the American mm. Revolution had a slightly less crazy genocidal character to it, let's mm. say. The, the Mithras aspect is interesting too, because, because uh, that, if I remember correctly, Mithras was a, the priests of Mithras would castrate themselves. It was a genitalless or a genderless being, right? I'm sure there are factions like that, but like you were talking about the transhumanist stuff, maybe there's an element there. You know? I do. I think it ties into that. I think the Mithras thing ties into the transhumanism. And again, I, I think there are coattail riders on the energy wave of that idea versus, you know, society's been controlled for a thousand years just to build transhumanism bodies. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I, th I think that, that that transhumanism goal I mean, that was like the very end of the, the cult science series mm -hmm. where it's just like crazy what they're projecting, whether that can actually happen or not. I don't know. But the androgyny transgender stuff is like a that, that's the next evolution. Right. And if we all believe in evolving, then that's just progress. And if there's just eternal progress, then that's what it is. Right. And so. It's funny how most people will justify the French Revolution by saying, well, you know, it did get a little nasty, but at least it was progress. And that's kind of like how they justify all that stuff. And, you know, they'll criticize. There's le legitimate concerns about things like some poverty and stuff, but there's a lot of propaganda around it. And there's a subversive element where there's some accusations of particular French aristocracy being traitors and like, like people like Necker, like actually starving people on purpose. Uh, that, that's like more of a conspiracy, but there's, you know, there's some weird stuff going on there. So yeah. that, that's kind of one part of the revolts. And then the other uh, issue is Louis uh, the King helped out the American revolutionaries. And so funny how Thomas Paine, who's all about the American Revolution, he gets help from the King of Catholic France. And then he goes back and he starts spreading propaganda to incite revolt in France. And, and the reason why he, he was against the beheading of Louis XVI, but here was his reason. Because if we behead him, then one of his heirs might get back on the throne. But let's keep him alive so no one can actually get back on the throne. So what a guy, right? Yeah, I'd rather have a controlled king, wouldn't you? And, um, but the thing is, the, the other aspect is... Uh, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of propaganda around the monarchy in a way, too, which is really interesting to think about it. Because in America, that's like the, the worst possible government ever. But if you think about it, just think about these logistics. Back then in the Middle Ages, the, the nobility 
and the kings fought their own battles. They financed their own wars. They went to war. And now look at today, where we send all of the poor people, and how we finance wars is through the people, right? We exploit everyone through taxes, and they pay for the wars. Yeah. Whereas back yeah. then, at least they had the balls to pay with their own money and go to their own war. And the wars, again, I, I have another video where I compare. If people want to do the numbers game with it, I don't love doing that. But if they want to do it, there was way less bloodshed and wars in the Holy Roman Empire before a lot of these Reformation splits. And if you go to the modern wars, the numbers are just crazy. Within just one, cent, uh, one century, yeah. 20th century, the amount of people that have dead versus like the amount in the old world. And again, you can chalk it up to population distribution has changed or maybe records aren't as accurate. But either way, the difference is astronomical. It's sleazy now. It's very sleazy. And this is something I always point out too, with the old old school way of warring. And you know, the king was often leading the charge. So it, it's uh, it's for man. profit now. Wars for profit versus it's, power. It's for profit, but it's also extorting. You know, it's tied into this extortion system that we call taxes, mm -hmm. and <laughs> you know all of that. And so, and the elite behind it, and and the people that can afford not to go to the people that are doing the warring are not warring themselves. <laughs> you know, they're not on the front line. No. So the people extorting the money. So it, it's it's interesting how that evolution alone has unfolded, and how there's still this nobility mindset within the indoctrination of the idea of going to war we're right you're wrong that whole idea and uh and then of course more polarity which is this whole dimension you know the illusion of polarity right and and the wars that we've had over the last 20 years have been pretty much all about 9-11 and never ending yeah exactly yeah i mean is there has has any of that ended not yet it there's always something going on in the Middle East since then. And I'm not an expert on like modern geopolitics that actually really just my eyes glaze over. I like going into the, the, the Middle Ages stuff or the, you know, around enlightenment, pre-enlightenment times. Like that's just what I'm more attracted to. Um, and, you know, again, is that like, is there something about our heritage that defines us over time? And like, we, you know, I'm not saying that we're bound to that, but I'm saying that it is a huge influence. Like for me, this is like where I, my family comes from. And we came over here in the 1800s when all these crazy revolutions were destroying the countries that I was part of. And so, um, or my family was, and you know, it's funny, like when I, I just think about this, my personal aspect of life, where, when I grew up, like when I grew up and I played with Legos, I didn't like the modern stuff. I didn't like the police station. I didn't like the race car. I hate, I didn't care about the space stuff. I don't even know what I think about space these days, but either way I did, I wasn't like, I was never naturally drawn to that. I was always drawn to the medieval Legos and maybe like the pirate. Those are the only ones I cared about. And so is there something like that was the height of like the Catholic tradition in terms of like, you know, the, the late middle ages of it, the height of its power and the idea about it, Again, a lot of people criticize like brutality in the Middle Ages, but the point is that the pagan cultures were a brutal culture. I know people like to like sort of overly apologize for them. And that's the point. They converted to Catholicism 
And it takes a long time to bring people out of that kind of stuff. And so the reason people got burnt at the stake is because that was a common punishment all over the world at the time. Or that was actually a more, you know, like across the seas, the Aztecs or the Mayans were cutting each other's hearts out on pyramids. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, we got to return to that culture. It's like, really? Like, I think that seems to be more be about the elites to me and pyramids. So, like, you know, there's kind of like a lot of things we don't think about. And so, I don't know, that's just a natural thing in my youth that was more drawn towards. And then I've always liked America, but I've always hated the crazy, like, uh, one, the political system. I always use this example, maybe even I mentioned this last time we were on here, that the first time I ever, I made up my mind about the political system when I was like a kid, when the, uh, the Bush Dukakis election was happening or something, and it made my parents take pot shots at each other. My mom was the liberal, my dad was a Republican, and as soon as the election came about, all of a sudden I noticed like when they weren't together, one of them would say something about the other because like at school we were learning about political system in this very basic form like what did you learn at school today oh we talked about the president election like oh yeah your mom's this and my my mom would say the same thing and i'm like you know all i see everyone's telling me this voting is so important but all i see is it destroying my family here like they're they're being catty to each other they're they're deceptive against each other like i was like what the hell is this it's almost like a mind virus yeah and so i that always like from that point on i was just like I don't know what's so great about this voting thing. Like we have the voting God where we get a choice to check a thing. And then when I turned 18 and I was actually able to vote, then I got the next level indoctrination where I had a friend, well, you know, somebody I used to hang out with. We played some video games, we played soccer, we were on sports team, you know, no tension whatsoever. It was all just fun. And all of a sudden he asked me, oh, who are you voting for? And I said, now I'm not voting for anybody. And my, my whole spiel was like logical. I was like, I don't know anything about the candidates. So I think it'd be irresponsible if I just blindly voted. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't care enough to like know anything. So I just said, I'm not going to vote. And he freaked out on me. Like this is one of my good <laughs> friends. I, it was like a demon just showed up and was like, what are you doing? How could you do that? That's the most irresponsible thing you could do. Like where the f- is this coming from? You know? <laughs> and after that, I was like, dude, screw this shit. Like this just makes everyone crazy. And I've just been watching the craziness ever since with just kind of being in the middle with it. But that is like the American, like that is our core value. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if that's and the if core you, if, Pluto value, maybe that's about to be destroyed soon, or at least it's being exposed. And well, with Uranus <sighs> and Taurus too, where there's interruptions in in your domestic tranquility, and so by these kinds of explosive things, it's always struck me how it divides the people. And the people have the power. But the eclipse divided the people. Yeah, and there was the, uh, obviously, the the whole Trump thing, and there was the big Trump eclipse on his ascendant or something mm-hmm. like that that people were talking mm-hmm. about, like you were just mentioning. You know, I've never seen it so polarized. And to me, Trump just represents the, the WASP establishment going back a little bit. To like the 1950s or whatever like that's like the archetype of it but in today's know? climate what he really is is a fence sitter he's not a republican and he's not a democrat he's like a moderate centrist and yeah and no one can can can, can touch him at that spot it's like he's found a corner in a room where he's untouchable it's interesting it's interesting 
Yeah. It's you know. definitely interesting if you're not ident- over-identifying with all of this yeah. craziness and you're just standing back and you're watching it. Is uh, is which is our way. recommended position, everybody? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Look, stand back and watch. <laughs> like, well, the other thing about that you were talking about that I learned, which I had no idea about, the, the, the papacy, especially of the 1800s. That's the one that like the Protestants really hate. And when you read Madame Blavatsky and Pike, they were alive in the 1800s, and Madame Blavatsky is in full fear porn mode on the Jesuits in her ice failed and doctrine. She's like freaking out about them. And she's using all of the Protestant propaganda to justify it, which is ironic, because the occultists, even though they think Protestant, you know, like evangelical or Luther Christianity, they'll always have a favorable view of that versus Catholicism, which I find interesting. And then the Nazis, if you read pre-Nazi writers like Heinrich von Treitzke, like these, he's a historian, and they're taking it to the racialist aspect, but they are using Luther as like this hero worship, right? That the Aryan hero and Luther was one of them. And that's part of their propaganda against the church and the Jesuits. And there's either two strategies. They try to co-opt the church and make it, uh, because they, they respect the institution and the structure, but they don't view it as a divine institution. Like, oh, this is just like any other institution. And Napoleon tried. He tried to give his Masonic version, which was against like Rothschild, and, and usury and stuff like that. So there's some like uh, virtuous elements there, but he was also trying to do other things and he screwed over the Catholic powers and he eventually made Catholicism the state religion in France, but he was trying to do it under this Napoleonic masonry and eventually he got taken out. Then Hitler comes later. He's got a lot of parallels to Napoleon where he's trying to use the Catholic church, but to drive the Nazi ideology through it. So. There is um, obviously the Catholic Church has a problem with aspects of Judaism, but it's a spiritual part. There's no racial component whatsoever. And that is what the modern world tries to do to try try to attach the church to the Nazis. But the Nazis took it to the racial aspect and the Catholic Church wouldn't have that. And the Nazis actually really persecuted the Catholic Church once it really got going. And the Jesuits were deemed as one of the number one enemies to the state. And these are the two reasons. And you can just read Nazi propaganda to confirm this in certain books. Um, one, the Jesuits were pacifists. That is a great sin in Nazism. Number two, the Jesuits had destructive criticism to the state. <laughs> That's it. Those are the only things they did wrong. And they were like one of the number one enemies. So pacifism, and they, 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 may, they critique the state. God, how evil and awful the Jesuits are. And the ironic thing is the Protestant conspiracy theorists always try to tie the Jesuits to the Nazis. It's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, where if anything, the Nazis were appealing to Luther to justify their ideology. It's right. crazy. Well, it's all this is so interesting. It's same with um, Napoleon. If you get in and you start digging around about Napoleon and looking, looking closely instead of just... Uh, taking in the narratives that have come down to us, the general washed over narrative, there is a whole different story there. And it's shocking. And I did not understand it until I started digging in. And I have a whole different view of Napoleon than I did growing up hearing what a demon devil he was. Have you guys read Bosley's new book? The Esoteric Napoleon? No, but I I 
was on, I think, one of his listening to one of his live yeah. streams or somewhere where he was really uncovering all that too. And uh, that's on my agenda. I view Napoleon as sort of like this mixed world order where he's got some sort of Catholic sympathies, but he's still against like the Rothschild big bank. And this is similar to the foundation of America. I actually think the founding fathers of America and like Napoleon masonry are pretty similar in a way um, where Napoleon, as far as I've read, he's got some weird views on Islam where he was like really enamored with it. And he was actually promoting like polygamy and blending of races to like, uh, basically what he wanted to do was assimilate everyone. And he wanted to take, cause he was against the, the usury Jews like Rothschild, mm -hmm. but he wanted to liberate the Jews into enlightenment principles. And what's really interesting is he did this and he, his tactic was to breed out Talmudic Judaism by assimilating them into his Masonic culture. But what ended up happening was the Jews who rebelled against the Talmud and became enlightenment Jews. Those are the ones that kind of turned into the Marxist later on. Hmm. Um, and, or, or like these, uh, 1848 revolutions. Um, and it's funny if you read Karl Marx, he is really bashing the Jews as saying they, you know, they're, they're usurers and they're materialists. And he says that their strategy of emancipation is to make Christians like them. This is Marx talking, not me. And, um, and, and so it's it's really bizarre, but he's got a universalist attitude towards it, whereas the Talmud, obviously, in their end times, they have a universalist aspect, too. So there's like a dialectic there, but both of them hate the Catholic Church. And so what I'm saying, there's all these different dialectics where the Hitler hated the church, but yet the Anglo establishment that fought Hitler hated the church, too. But and Napoleon, I wouldn't again, I hate the strong word. He tries to pragmatically use it. Excuse me. But the Rothschilds try to pragmatically use it by becoming bankers and trying to, you know, give them all loans and stuff like that. So it gets attacked by two groups, but then they fight each other. And so it's really bizarre how you see this dialectic. I think I've identified like I, this is all part of my new research for my member section stuff. This is where it's all coming from. There's like 10 to 15 different dialectics that all have that unification of church and state Catholicism as the, an enemy, but they fight somebody else for the exact opposite reasons. And it's, it's that, that's what like, to me, like, that's just not ordinary to, to have that coordinate throughout all these different empires. Like that, that is one of the main reasons where I was just like, Holy crap, there's something, something strange about the Catholic church that I can't explain. And that kind of, at least that's my, one of my reasons for thinking there's, there's something more going on with it than just a pragmatic institution. Very cool. Very cool. <clears throat> well, it's gotten late. Yeah, yeah. this was. <laughs> a a <laughs> I think we <laughs> talked a long time last time too. So, well, you're a well of information. Absolutely. It's been another fantastic conversation with you. I just thank you so much for coming on our new show, with our new moon show, our full moon show, and dropping the bombs. <laughs> You know, the mind bombs. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's just going through stuff, trying to be honest about it, and at least trying to present all the different views as they would want to be presented. So even like in the course of my research, 
you know, I defend Aleister Crowley against accusations put upon him that I think are just ridiculous. Like, I don't think he was literally sacrificing babies or any of that weird shit. I think that was but, his euphemism for masturbation. Right, honestly. right. And so <laughs> if understanding on its own terms, but does that mean that I adhere to the philosophy and think he's like a hero? No, but, but at least reject something on its own terms or accept something on its own terms, not a distorted view. And, you know, it, it's hard to do, but that's what I try to do. And so moving forward, I'm creating a, a website with a member section and it's going to have a lot of different things attached to it. It's going to be a, a second hour to the podcast. There's going to be the hardcore research like I've been sort of talking about. And then I have other weekly videos I'm going to be making. One of them is going to be going through the, the Catholic study Bible and just bringing in all of this stuff with it. And then the other one's going to be going through astrology or kind of like the hermetic viewpoint, but kind of rearranging it for Catholicism because there's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. And actually for me personally, I think it is in a way like the original, uh, yeah. a lot of the Freemasonic concepts, I think that they come from Catholicism and they've been reinvented or they bring other things into it to reinvent it. That, that's basically what I've come to conclude at the research at this time. So I'm just kind of rearranging things in a different way. And that's mm -hmm. similar to the whole point about why the the pagan logos concept was in the gospel of john to begin with awesome sweet and how and so where can people find you let's do all that yeah plug some stuff other than your website yeah the website's still under construction so if people follow the youtube just schism 206 on youtube i'll make announcements there i have a twitter now i haven't used it in forever and i try to just announce things and not engage because i just i don't want to be Hot <laughs> too much um so schism 206 twitter or at schism 206 and then i can throw you a couple links i have a blog that has like a master hub center for everything and i want to just do those three um and uh yeah that's pretty much it and until the website comes go there for the announcement all right i'm putting it into the uh the link in the description now there you go links in the description so is this a, is this the first one of these or have you done some already this was our this, second yes oh, okay <laughs> and it, uh, uh, these have been great our phrase was with raw castaldo and uh yeah i'm loving our show i'm loving this new show yeah it's gonna, gonna we've got some uh i think next month we're gonna do esoteric comics like dig into <laughs> But, you Carlin know, the, and our, Kurt Jack Kirby, Stanley, you know, yeah. yeah, Alex, Alex Ross, it's another one. Yeah, that should be pretty interesting. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, we have people who wanted to ask a question, but I locked it because we. It's gotten too late. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. sorry questions, my, people. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> sorry. We're working on the format. We'll get to it next. Yeah, we're getting we're getting our feet on this show. You know, so give us a. We're, we're sorry if there's any hiccups that are annoying to people. We'll get it. We did this happened with Max Mente. In uh, about six yeah. months, we'll be able to answer that. The, part of the problem is I can't get a <laughs> Skype call into the Zoom room where everyone can hear it and on the broadcast. I just have to get some new hardware, which I'll yeah. have next month. So next Excellent. month, we'll take live calls. It'll be like I'll get a crazy number. <laughs> like when Nathan Stoltman got his, his, uh, I think it was the Skype numbers was like 506 gay taxi. 
<laughs> Excellent. I think I ever heard him say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for having me on. And if you want me back on, just let me know. In the yeah, future. it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone else. Also, by next week we have no show because of uh, scheduling issues on my part. Yeah, no, that's Nox Mente. It's, yeah, Nox Mente next week. I, we will make it up though because I want to have Sam on. So, anyway, in two weeks we do have um, Sticks Hexenhammer as our guest on Nox Mente. So that should be pretty interesting. I can't wait to talk to him. All right. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week, next month, weeks, whatever. Bye.